This is the Jason Kavnis Experience, hosted by Jason Kavnis. Join Jason as he talks to small business owners and startup founders and other interesting people as we gain great insights about business, people, leadership, HR, and how each guest strives to be great every day. Hello, and welcome to Jason Kavnis Experience. I'm your host, Jason Kavnis. Our guest today is Jana Hong. Jana, you ready to be great today? Yes. So, Jana, Jana first thing. What what do you do for fun? What do I do for fun? Yeah, what do you do for fun? Just come here and drink with people. <laughs> yeah, drink with you, drink with my friends. I'm just kidding. Um, no, she's not. Well, <laughs> I I'm like a big introvert, so I like to stay home and um, unwind by myself. And I like to just watch Netflix movies, things like that. <clears throat> but most of my day to day life is very active and. Um, all the time, I'm just physically interacting with people. So I definitely need that alone time for fun. So you've been an introvert. I'm an introvert too. Mm. How do you go about networking, right? Like me, like, like I enjoy <laughs> speaking in front of people, like doing events and doing these podcasts. Yeah, me too. But like if I meet someone like a networking event, do I really care how your day is going? Maybe I do, maybe I don't. Do I care about the weather? Maybe I do, maybe I don't, right? <laughs> so like, how do you like network as an introvert? What, well, what tips, tips you have? I love humans, but I hate them at the same time. <laughs> I love humanity. I love getting to know people, but it's it's just like if you do it constantly, it's definitely a little bit draining. I think we have we share the same like type. I don't know if you remember, but yeah, yeah, both um, introverted and um, INFJ. I think it's it's the type. Yeah, but INFJ, yeah. yeah. So I approach a lot of my interactions with a lot of curiosity. Whereas just a human being, I don't care what your background is, but I'm just going to be curious about your uprising and all of that. And that's what also kind of got me into neuroscience and um, psychology and all that stuff. Yeah, like same along those things you said about, about being like humans. Like I say, like with HR, like you need great people, like you know, have a great company, hire a comma, most people suck, right? <laughs> so like, I mean, I guess so. Yeah, if you put it that way. Yeah. People are good and people also are, are bad. So they are, yeah. You can't really categorize them. No, you can't. You shouldn't anyway. But I do anyway. <clears throat> once in a while. Yeah, I mean, that's what our brain does, actually. Yeah. yeah. Just like they say, don't, you know, don't judge a person by the cover. If that's the case, why do books have cover, right? <laughs> you know, like. <laughs> like exactly. Yeah, we can. I mean, if someone comes, like, you, you see some walking down the street, like, dressed in a three-piece suit. Yeah. You know, or, you know, shirts, t-shirt, <clears throat> flip-flops, you're going to automatically have different, you know. Especially the person in three-piece suits, they want us around like in flip-flops and t-shirts, right? Right. Like, no, I definitely think that looks do matter. But yeah. people nowadays are like, oh, just be yourself. But you should, yeah, but you should like looks do some. definitely do matter. Yeah, but you, do, you should do some research and dive a little bit deeper, right? Yeah. Find out about the person. Yeah. yeah, definitely. So what kind of hobbies do you have? My hobbies, that's a good question. Um, I definitely like just hanging out with friends. Um, I My life outside of work is really boring um i also like to go eat a lot of good food so i'm like a big yelper <laughs> and i just post a lot of food reviews um and i actually started this hobby during covid when all the businesses were being shut down um so yeah i just write write food reviews reviews for places i like to go to places as well just visit new exploration is my 
So you do food travel. reviews on the Yelp or somewhere? Food like reviews that? are like explorations, um, just going out and and visiting new places. What just from some of your like your go to places to eat at? My go to places? I actually I need to think about that. Okay. There's because my personality is like I always need to go out and try something new. So I Is there a food that you don't try? Like, okay, I've tried this one time, I'm never eating this again. Probably not. Okay. Not in the Seattle area. Okay. Yeah. So There's any, not that much exotic food here. <laughs> no, no, it's not. So yeah. I, I was in Vietnam with my friend from September 1st to September 10th. And like, I ate some snails for the first time. Oh, how was that? It was like, it was, it's not bad. It's not horrible, right? I would, I'd eat it again, you know, it's <clears> not terrible. Like little cooked snails? Yeah. Okay. Little shells, yeah. Yeah. And then the craziest thing I did over there. So we're at my, um, at my uh, friend's wife's uncle's house, right? Okay. You know, only, so... Only his, my friend's wife, Mina, she spoke Vietnamese. Like she's from there, right? Mm-hmm. And so we get all this food and stuff, we're eating, drinking, or whatever. Afterwards, the uncle brings back these three shots, right? Like clear liquid, right? And he goes like, <laughs> you know, drink this. And he's like, and he goes like this. Okay. Oh my gosh. So me and Kevin think this might be fine, you know, digest it, right? Okay. And Kevin had a fuck, he had a fucking ass, right? What it was, right? Yeah. This dude brought back like a gallon of seahorses. So we Seahorses? Li- we were literally drunk seahorse juice. Can I go seahorse? Yeah. That's a thing? Yeah. Here, I'll show you the picture real fast. Yeah, seahorse. Wait, what's the name of the food? Seahorse. It was just, hold on, I'll show you the picture. You went to Vietnam, Cole. Did you? Here. The uncle bought that out. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I did not know that you could actually eat that. No, it was, yeah. we didn't eat it. It was just like, they, they put it in some kind of water and, the, and we drank the water that was from the seahorse so- soaking it out, I guess, you know? What what does that do to your body? I don't know. I mean, I didn't, we, we didn't die, so <laughs> okay. Yeah, supposed to be suggestive. That's great. Yeah. Did you ever see like seahorses um get letting the baby out? No. No, it like squirts hundreds of babies out. I didn't, I didn't know that. No, okay. Well, lots of videos about it. So you have your um your bachelor's <clears throat> in neuroscience. Yes, neuroscience. I'm guessing you know that's not like getting a degree in, in basketball, even nothing like that, right? In, in what? In basket exactly? weaving. Like, you, you, uh, you got to be kind of smart to be a neuroscientist. Oh, so, oh my goodness. When I first went to university, I had no idea that you had to apply for a major. Okay, so first of all, I wasn't even planning on going to college in the beginning. So I was really behind on, like, the entire college process. I didn't even know what the word undergraduate meant when I was an undergrad. So I went into college thinking, hey, I'm going to study neuroscience. But it turns out, Neuroscience was one of the most competitive majors to get into. And I had absolutely no idea when I first joined college. So literally like two, three months before the application, I, I just went crazy. I talked to all the admissions officers and things like that. And, you know. There's some water behind you if you need, you need any water. <clears throat> yeah. So, um. Yeah, but it it was a very tough major to get into. And it turns out that most of the people in the major were incredibly smart, like way smarter than I am in terms of GPA, in terms of everything. So why do you say that, right? Like, why do you say this more than you? I mean, you you got in the program too. So obviously, you know, you're not no dummy, you know. No, but their their track is completely different than mine. Most people that go into neuroscience go in there because they want to become neurosurgeons. They want to go into the med, med field. Um, they're super disciplined people and there are only about like 50, 60 people in the major. And obviously med school wasn't my track, but I kind of felt 
I was the outsider or the one that's a little bit odd because I went in there because I was truly just curious about neuroscience in general, but everyone else was in there because they wanted to go towards a very specific track. They knew what they wanted way before going in there. They prepared for it. So. And so neuroscience, what other things, what other careers and people in neuroscience do like surgery and like what else can they do? Um, I, there are so many, neuroscience is so interdisciplinary, but the majority of people are going into surgery um, track, but I'm going into more of a computational neuroscience track. Um, I think AI can blend in with neuroscience as well. So um, that's where I'm going into. Um, but most people also do end up in labs, just neuroscience labs, research, biology research, um, so on. And so for surgery, you're talking about people going to work for Elon Musk's Neuralink company and putting the Neuralinks in people's you brains. Know, you know what's so funny? <laughs> Neuralink hires computer scientists. They mainly hire computer scientists. And my question is, like, who's going to teach me all the neuroscience biology when the entire population of Neuralink is these software engineers? Like, are these CS people going to teach me neuroscience? So, yeah, that's yeah. my question. So... Next, talk about your childhood a little bit, like your background, like how you got to this place. That's a big question. Um, I, <laughs> I come from a pretty diverse background. Well, so uh, when I was young, I grew up in a very, very strict household. Um, there were some violence involved. Um, I'm not in the best relationship with my parents. My parents really just urged me to be the top of everything in terms of academics. They were super into that. So everything that I did, you know, I was always like the youngest person to be in like piano recitals, art contests, and, you know, the A plus first class child. I was a second grader in a fifth grade class, for example. So I was in all those accelerated programs. Um, that led to a lot of stress for like a little kid like me. And I ended up pretty much running away from home when I was 16. And I started- And where did you grow up at? Like what state or what place? Basically Seattle, but my parents got divorced when I was like nine years old. So my mom flew to Korea with me and my dad stayed in the US. So for the majority of my childhood, I was going back and forth between Korean school and an American school, like flip-flopping between two countries that were complete opposite yeah. cultures. So each year, um, you know, I- what, what city in Korea? What city? Um, I was actually born in Seoul, but okay. back then I was in Suwon. Okay, yeah, Suwon. I was stationed in Seoul for like 05 to 08. Me and my family lived for three years. Really? Yeah. What brought you to Seoul? In the military, I was in the army. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, we, so your entire family, family Yeah, we there. were there for three years, yeah. Lived like by Itaewon district. Oh, Itaewon, yeah, yeah. that's a very famous. Um, it's quite diverse, isn't it? Yeah. Itaewon. So you speak Korean as well? No, no. No, <laughs> you lived there for three years. Yeah, I know. I suck. <laughs> Not even a hello? No, my kids and wife do, but they, you know, they can get mm. by still. They mm -hmm. go, like they can go to like a Korean restaurant here, <clears throat> order food and stuff like that. Oh, really? Yeah. How old are your kids? They're all grown. Okay. Out the house. Yeah. That's really impressive though. Yeah. So I remember like in the, in the army, we used to have like a thing called a Katusa. Basically a Korean soldier come like work with us like a year. Mm -hmm. And, the, and they, they always have all these stories about how their parents put all the pressure on them. Like, they always had like all it's these- It's very, very- Yeah. It's like, I, 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 I'm like, good Lord. Like, that, that's like, that's not parent, that's abuse. Like, what are you doing, right? That is literally, yeah, I, I thought yeah. so too. 
But, you know, there's that stereotypical Asian parents that's strict. Yeah. But I feel like my parents were 10, 20 times more strict. Mm-hmm. Um, they were really kind of obsessed with keeping up a certain image, yeah. I think. So yeah. to me, as a kid, that was incredibly pressuring. Um, my so, parents so, didn't... So do you have any chance? Are you have any fun as a kid? It was all like pressure, pressure, well, pressure. That, yeah, it's, it was pressure after pressure. I didn't even get to choose my friends, for example. I didn't get to choose what I could wear outside. So it was incredibly strict. And, and it's not like you're like four or five years old. This is going on. This is like you're like <clears throat> junior high, high school. Um, not really in high school, but I would say up until like middle school maybe. Okay. But that, it's still a lot of stress. So that's really what got me into uh, learning about childhood and parenting. So I was like this like 12-year-old reading books about parenting (laughs) like how do we properly parent a kid like i know my parents love me and they care about me they do all these things because they care but just imagine like a 10 year old reading a book about parenting like that was me while i was growing up so um i is your mom still over there my mom is actually here um in bellevue living with me but i have not seen or talked to my dad since i was like 16 or 15 so i I have no idea what he's doing or where he is. How often do y'all go back to Korea to visit? Not often at all, yeah. You you see a family over there? Like cousins or something, aunts and uncles? Not really, no. No. I don't know anyone from my dad's side. Okay. Yeah. Um, I used to visit a lot when I was a kid, but since my mom completely moved here, it's it's, it's like document issue, I think. I don't know. Kind of difficult for her to go back. So you kind of ran away at 16. Talk about running away at 16. (laughs) And then how did that like time period from 16 to the time you went to college? I'm sure that's pretty like, you know. Yeah. Exciting and like, more like tumultuous or like, you know, just like you know, a lot of pressure. My life is so weird. So I actually dropped out of high school during the college application week. You know, I'm a high school dropout too. Really? I well, dropped, let's let's high five. I and... dropped out of the ninth grade. Yeah, no, 10th grade, right? That's me, awesome. I, so I would already skip school all the time, right? <laughs> why, why did you skip school? I, just, I recommend people to go to school. Like if I wasn't a good student. Like like one time I was a habitual bad student. So like <laughs> in, the, in the sixth grade, me and my friend Patrick Norman, we skipped school for twelve straight days. Ooh. We're just going like this this doing like dumb stuff, like going to movies, going to amusement parks. And so finally trial day, we're like, man, this this is ridiculous, right? No one's looking for if you mm-hmm. gotta go to school. We got to mm-hmm. school. Don't they give you like like court time if you miss that many days? Not back then. They they were sending me court documents. Yeah. So we went we back to school, and of course they're going to punish us, right? Mm-hmm. Their punishment was to give us a three-day suspension. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's lovely. I would totally take that. And we were like, okay, I'm good with this, you oh know? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, and then for the 10th grade, so before in Texas, you can miss the many days you want as long as you pass, but they passed a law that, that says, like, you had, if you miss more than a certain amount of days, you get any credit. So me, you no know, skipping school, I, mm-hmm. I passed that limit, like, in February or March, right? Like, so you're talking about even if I finish school, I don't get any credit. Makes no sense to me. Of course, looking right. back, I would have stayed in school and learned <clears> stuff, right? So instead, I just dropped out and like hung out. What's crazy, even crazier, is I still graduated on time. Oh, me too, actually. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. It is, yeah. That is crazy. Wow. What, why did you hate school so much? It's boring. Like, you know, like, yeah, I just. And were your parents okay with it? So I was living with my mom. And she had no control over me, to be honest with you, right? 
I just I was like 14, 15, going to clubs, hanging out two, three in the morning. Oh yeah. my gosh! Yeah, I, I, they had no age limit or well, Texas. So I, I mean, I understand. that's crazy. Plus, I, I learned early if you if you actually supposed to be there, no one bothers you. So I just walk in these clubs, you know, and, like, mm. and plus some like some older would be with me, right? So yeah, that's crazy because I was the complete opposite. I didn't go to any clubs. I didn't even drink until I was like twenty one or twenty two. Yeah, I was drinking, smoking, <laughs> doing all that stuff. Yeah, you're a gangster. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> I love I that. I won't go that far, but yeah. No. <laughs> yeah, but you know, I graduated on time. Yeah. So, so back to you. So, <clears throat> yeah. talk about the process. Like, you know, you're getting away at the house, going to college, like you're living on your own, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, actually, so the so I dropped out during college application week because there was a huge violence between me and my dad or something, and um. Um, I ended up in Egypt. <laughs> Wait, say that again. I, I, so back then. You said Egypt, like my, Egypt the country, right? Yes, Egypt the country. Mansura, Cairo, Alexandria. I was not expecting that. Yeah, no, I, nobody expects that from me. I just. That's totally random. <laughs> that is very random. I expect you say, say something like, you know, California, Las nah, Vegas, maybe nah. New York City, you know, maybe back Korea. That's so expensive. Those places are. So you're in Egypt? How old are you you in Egypt? Probably. So my timeline is completely screwed up, but approximately like 16, 17. um, And my very first partner at the time, who I dated for about four or five years, was Egyptian. He had his whole family there. And, you know, I just stayed at his family's house. Um, But, yeah, that that was fun, you know, getting interviewed by the FBI and everything yeah. was fun as a teenage yeah, runaway. I'm sure yeah. It was. yeah. So um I was this sixteen year old that started to just started my own freelance thing online. So I did a lot of ghostwriting. I did like Adobe stuff like Photoshop and all this like technical stuff for um, people on freelancer. And I had to fake my age and basically tell people or just act like a 25-year-old professional that went to college. But I was actually just 16 years old, um, <clears throat> completely alone in a, in a different country and all that. So that was, that was fun. Um, but eventually I, I came back and went to high school graduation because even my own, um, I think, advisor in high school, I don't know what to call them, but they were also really pushing me to just get my high school certificate because, yeah, I was dropping out in the final year. And then when, you, when, when did you come back to the state? <clears throat> I don't even, basically around my high school graduation time, okay. I think, yeah. Okay. But even then... I didn't apply to a single college or anything like that. So I just worked at a local coffee shop for mm-hmm. about a year. And then my entire family line, my aunts, my uncle, everyone was like, Jana, you have to apply to college or else you're not going to have a future. You know, they're super um, traditional people. Yeah. And they were like almost like crying and begging that I, I should, you know, do something with my life. So. I was like, okay, I'll just apply to one school, which is University of Washington. Um, I got in some, well, I, I don't know how I got in because I didn't send in my SAT score in the beginning. And, and they require SAT scores. Yeah. 
But yeah. Maybe you took it before and sent it and just don't remember. I don't know. But back then, it was really unfortunate that I got into that university because I was hoping that I don't get in because I didn't want to go to college <laughs> at all. So, so either University <clears throat> of Washington and your backup plan was to remain a coffee barista? No, my backup plan was to become a successful freelancer. And okay. I was already like teaching people virtually across the world, um, people English. Yeah. yeah, I was teaching people English. And I was also starting my own like little tutoring program for okay. local like kids. So I have a lot of experience in, in just education in general, even, even though I'm not, <laughs> I wasn't even educated myself. <laughs> so yeah, really, really weird path that I took. But when I first went into college, I was like, okay, nobody can uh, stop me. So I took like the weirdest classes in the beginning. I took freaking ceramics class, some art classes, and I got like a C in an art class, which is impossible. Um, I just didn't turn in my assignments. So that was my start to my college year. And then second year got a little bit more serious about my academics. Really wanted to get into the neuroscience major. I was like, if I can't get into the neuroscience major, there's no point in me um, continuing college. So I basically poured my energy into that and somehow got in and here I am now. So talk about the internship you had. Which internship? The one at UCAL, <laughs> Cal Berkeley. Oh, yeah, that was actually, yeah, so you can tell that my neuroscience interest stems from all the way from high school. Actually, way before that, because I was reading like parenting books and childhood books since I was like 10. Um, but I basically wrote this essay about the neurobiology behind stress and epigenetics. Um, and when I wrote that essay, I didn't even know what epigenetic meant, but I... I just wrote that entire essay just for to get that scholarship and somehow I got in and they flew me out and I was able to do this like two, three week um, intensive course. This was all during high school, by the way. So this was high school. Not, this was high school. Okay, this ain't college. This like high school. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. I did so many like academic related stuff in high school and then I ended up dropping out in college application week. That was my form of rebellion. Rebellion, towards, yeah. So you didn't know drinking and doing drugs? I didn't do, no, not at all. Your rebellion was, not I'm, at I'm, all. I'm, 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 I'm not going to college. <laughs> I was like top in my class for like so many years, accelerated programs. I can programs. imagine conversations like your teachers and advisors had when you did that. They, yeah. they had to be like, oh yeah, definitely. Like, they were like, you know, were they like, man, we failed Jana, why is she doing this? Or, What's I, yeah, going definitely. on? Like, I think that's why I came back because it, I wasn't, I mean, I was impacting so many other people mm. around me and they were like, sad yeah, <laughs> you're very sad yeah so like, what, what do we do wrong like what's the, you know, yeah something with our home life yeah so much pressure as a child um i didn't understand like why i had to you know get all a's and get all good test scores like what's the point you know yeah. if i see students like getting polished since they were a kid all to go just to go to a good college, you know, I just look at them and I feel really bad for them. Like all for what? So yeah, I decided to make a point, drop out during college. But everything was super planned out for me. Like to the point that 
point of me like dropping out, mm. I planned out everything. I was saving up money okay. for many months. It wasn't a spur of the moment. It wasn't, it was not a spur okay. of the moment. I was quietly packing, saving money. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, doing everything behind my secretly. I didn't yeah. even tell any of my friends because, you know. That's smart on your part though. Yeah, everything was planned out. So, okay. yeah. And this interest you did, like you said, it was like two or three week intensive. Yeah, thing. yeah. So within like three weeks, they went over an entire one year's worth of college <clears throat> neuroscience course. And I was in high school. So that was fun. Um, I remember it wasn't too fun for me because I was actually still in high school. Like I was still, it wasn't like a vacation for me. Um, I if I had to go back to Seattle, I had to finish my exams, like physics exams. And I remember I was like studying so hard for physics, um, my physics exam. And then there were like people there that wanted to just hang out every free time that we got. So that was a little bit hard for me um, during that. Time. Yeah. But, right, right now you're working for something called the um, Allen Institute for Brain Science. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And also the Seattle Children's Brain Institute. So all those like two full-time jobs, two volunteer things, like, and how do you balance both of those? I can balance them because they both work on the same topic of um, aging-related diseases and hippocampus and all that. So it's very fun for me. Um, the Seattle Children's is basically a wet lab. Um, are you familiar with wet no, lab? Yeah, what is a wet, wet lab? Wet lab is basically, you have to be hands-on with the experiments. You have to do mouse surgery. You have to <laughs> cut the mouse heads off and get the brain physically, slice the brain, image the brain, okay. and put it on the, under the microscope. That's a wet lab. <clears throat> and then a dry lab is when you do dry stuff, like computational stuff. Okay. So I do dry lab stuff in the Allen Institute, and then I do the physical experiments in the Seattle Children's. They're not directly related, although they're looking at the same parts of the brain. Um, I can balance this out because I've been working at Seattle Children's for way before Allen. So all the work that I do there is like, I can, it's pretty much automated for me. Like I don't need to think too hard to do all the experiments because I already know how to do it. I've been doing it for about a year, so um, it, it's not hard, too hard at all. Um, but now the work at Allen Institute, which is all computational stuff, that's a little bit hard for me because I don't come from a computer science background. I learned neuroscience back in college. So um, I had to learn Python from scratch. I had to learn all the computational data science stuff from scratch and then analyzing it and all that, so. Yeah, but that the Allen one is my full time job right now. And so that's the one that I guess paying you money or whatever. Oh, both are paying me. They're both paying money. Yes. And is there any conflict? Does those like how you work? Like, are they both nine to five jobs? You get like to come and go as you please, like because like how do you um, like work both of them? Because I think one would be like, hey, Jana, be here all the time. Other oh, one like yeah, be here all the course. time. Like how do you balance that? The Seattle Children one, I have to be there Tuesdays, Wednesdays in person. Um, that's when the antibody staining and everything works. But the Allen Institute, um, a lot of my personal work is remote. I can do it remotely, but I do still meet with my mentor three times a week. And I prefer that to be in person as well. So, uh, I mean, it, it works out at the end. Yeah, the only downside is the transportation. I have to ride like three different buses to travel. So you, so you come from Bellevue, right? I'm from Bellevue, yeah. 
and they're still working on the light rail. Yeah, they'll be working like, like in the year 21, 21. They or said something, that they you know? would open the light rail like last year or something, but yeah, it's still not I, open. I um, I don't know how true this is, but someone told me that um, when they built the light rail, their older bridge, somehow the engineering messed up and didn't really cal- didn't calculate the um weight of the train going over the bridge or something like that. Right? It's like imbalance or something, so it's unsafe. So yeah, for Bellevue. Yeah, going from the oh yeah, my the gosh, well, yes, yeah. that's what I heard a few people say. I mean, like interesting. Yeah. Hopefully yeah. it's not true, but I'm pretty sure it's <clears throat> right. Very interesting. Yeah, it's it sucks, but you know, what can so I do? You gotta catch three buses to go from home to the University of Washington. Pretty much, yeah, two to? three buses. I just I like riding the bus itself, but yeah. I hate waiting for the bus outside yeah. in the cold and a bunch yeah. of other people. Yeah, it's the worst part. That too. So any plans? I like get a master's in anything? Oh, I do. On? I definitely yeah. do. But right now I'm still in the exploration stage. I okay. love industry. A lot of my friends in the computer science, they went straight into industry from mm-hmm. bachelors and they're making like way, way more than I am right now. But yeah, I still want to pursue PhD. Um, and I think I'm going to do that with neuroscience and not computer science. Okay. And you actually earned a scholarship, didn't you, for college? I, I didn't pay for college. Yeah, okay. I didn't pay for college. How, how competitive, come about how competitive that was to get earn a scholarship? I have no idea. So I didn't even, I don't know anything about college, actually. When I, <laughs> I didn't even know the term undergrad. I didn't even know what freshman, sophomore, junior meant when I was in college. So I don't know how competitive it was, but. Um, it, you just yeah. know you applied and you got it. Yeah, yeah. And I'm so, so grateful that I don't have, I didn't have to pay for college at all. I was also an RA um, for one of the oldest dorms in at University of Washington. Um, so that also paid for my dorm. Gave me some food money on my Husky car. <laughs> I got food. So next talk about this. It's not a good RA. On your LinkedIn, I think on the website, there's something on May 12th, there was something, there was a, probably saying this wrong, there was an NCEC times I2 Neuro AI Ethics Panel. Oh, yeah, that was that? some... That, that was just a one-time event. Um, my organization, Interactive Intelligence, we collaborated with the Computational Neuroscience Department at University of Washington. And they held an entire event inviting people from, like, even France. Like, have you heard of, like, Jan Lecun? Or, I don't know much about those people, but it, it was, like, a, this whole two, three-day event, I think. And we took charge of one of those uh, events and we just held an ethics panel with a bunch of professors that we uh, recruited. So why, why do you think ethics is important in AI and neuroscience? Ethics is very important because AI is dominating our society entirely. Um, and only a handful of people right now are contributing to uh, the development of AI. And I, I think that's, that's quite an issue. There's so many issues going on. Um, one example is, you know, Amazon, they developed like an AI system to streamline its recruitment process. And the AI was trained on resumes uh, for like the past 10 years. Obviously, it was male dominated. And so eventually the system began to favor uh, male candidates more than, you know, female candidates. Um, there's so much like bias that's going on. In the AI world, and even fast forward to 2020, there is a man named Robert Williams that 
was wrongfully accused because of a flawed facial recognition system. And federal studies have, has also shown that these AI systems misidentify different races like Asians and black people up to 100 times more than than the white person. I mean, so those are just a couple of examples, but so much bias going on. Yeah, my thing they, is like an AI is here to stay, and, but how do we like, but to me, it's who, who's coding the AI, right? Like how, what kind of ethics these people have coding, right? The good people, the bad people. Like how do we determine like the people doing the actual coding? Most people that are doing acts of coding come from a very similar educational mold, very similar backgrounds. If you look at the demographics itself, even in um, the computer science building at the UW, which is a very well-known computer science program because, you know, Bill Gates and Paul yeah. G. Allen created it. So even there, there's only about 12% of women in, in the computer science major, 12% of girls yeah. in the computer science major. So it's heavily like skewed. Um, most of them are just white yeah. guys in the computer science. So demographically, it's it's right the... What age were you when you started becoming interested like in computer science and neuroscience like STEM? Well, I was interested in neuroscience since forever, I think. Like, yeah. like a little kid I mean, yeah, because I was like reading like... There's a question for you. And also, I don't actually have the answer to this or solution. But I think stats show like, you know, I'll make this number up a little bit. Like stats show like 80% of little girls are interested in that kind of, kind of STEM thing, right? But come high school, that drops down to 10%. Yeah. Why do you think there's such that's, a big reduction? Is there societal pressures? It's like, of course, you know, it's hard. So people drop out because it's hard. But still, like, guys, it stays the same number pretty much across. But girls drop down so much. What do you mean guys stay the same I mean, number? Like, oh, for some interest? Yeah, suppose, oh, suppose, okay. it, suppose guys are 80%. It dropped, right. like, might drop down to 50%, I, right? Yeah, I think it's definitely the societal culture, yeah. right? But it's weird because if you look at the statistics from, like, 1987, there were literally 37% of women in the computer science major compared to right now, there's only like 13%, which is, it's like, it's definitely dropping. And I think it's definitely for cultural reasons. Um, but back in like when computer science first came out, like 1960s, around that time, coding used to be like a woman's grunt work. Yeah, I remember seeing like a, a photo somewhere where like, you know, back in the 50s, isn't all females like coding it, it, and stuff. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, it was like a grunt work, you know, men didn't really care much about it, I guess. But um, nowadays, it's completely male-dominated, yeah. for sure. And so let's suppose there's a little girl out there, sixth, seventh grade, or pick your age you want. What, wh how would you recommend her like to keep interested in coding or, or STEM stuff? Like, what would your advice to a little, little girl be? Advice? I mean. I think the culture nowadays is really changing. I think the gender norms are changing a little bit, especially in the West Coast. I may see that a lot. I would just encourage the girls to like not feel intimidated by male-dominated uh, presence. Because I, I think that's, that's the main thing that kind of keeps the girls away from pursuing their STEM uh, studies. It's like they walk into a room, maybe like a computer science club, and then they mainly see a bunch of guys. But I would say, you know, don't be intimidated by that. Uh, you can pave your own path and be your own role model for for this field. So, what do you see? Do you see the future of AI? Do you think AI is actually going to like take away all the jobs? All the robots going to take over? Like, not really. No, yeah. I, I think, what do you think the, right the, the now. Future I'm, is? 
I'm quite optimistic about AI. Um, I think AI can help humans be more efficient and do all the like, you know, like a calculator, do all those like nitty gritty calculations for humans. But I think AI is also going to create more jobs. Um, I think AI. It, so I read statistics somewhere, and statistics that's like preparing, predicting the future, and the statistics did say that the AI will create more jobs than replace jobs. So yeah, I, I don't think people understand that, right? Even from the beginning of time, it, it's a cycle, right? Like like example, <laughs> I use like before the when the car first came out, people like you know. What's going to happen to all the jobs for the horses, right? Like making saddles, you know, shoving the shit from the horse shit off the street, right? Like those jobs are winning, but of course people became mechanics, right? I think yeah. the same thing now. I think just you got to be able to open, be able to like change stuff up, you know? Yeah, yeah. So you'd be surprised. I obviously come from a very diverse background and <clears throat> my experience ranged from volunteering at homeless shelters all the way to hospitality and industry and everything. And you'd be surprised to know that People outside of the tech sphere really have no exposure to the yeah. tech advancements. Yeah, they have, really. no, they have, no, they have no clue. You can go to a local barista and ask about chat GPT. They're not going to be way like, too familiar with it. Yeah. I think students nowadays are familiar with chat GPT, but still, people outside of the tech sphere, uh, they have very limited exposure to the advancements. No, I definitely agree with that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it's really surprising. Um and it's a different world for me because I only, I mainly interact with people in the tech sphere every single day. So buzzwords like ChatGPT are so, so common. But you step out of the tech sphere and you interact with the broader community and they don't know much about anything that's going on. You know, if people are scared that AI is going to take their jobs away. Yeah, that's, that's not going to. Is, um, do you think we need to do something like, like universal basic income, like, like pay people some money during the transition. What's your what's your viewpoint on UBI? I think that's that's like a far future thing. I don't think AI is going to no time soon. Yeah, no, no time soon. And if anything, I think AI is going to make uh, jobs more efficient. Oh yeah, I definitely agree. Yeah, and I people are also afraid of like AI um, becoming evil. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the Skynet. Yeah, yeah, and dominating. You know society but i i don't think that's gonna happen yeah what are some cons of ai what are some bad things about ai it spits out what it's you know being trained on currently the ai all again is it's being sculpted by a very certain demographic only so it kind of concerns me um <clears throat> and also uh one concern that i have is not everyone is going to have the same benefits from the AI. AI is racing forward, but not everybody is able to keep up the pace with it. Um, and I think the gap is twofold. One is a technological gap and one is the informational gap. And both of them would lead to a starker wealth gap. And obviously it'll be the lower income households that are getting uh, negatively impacted most of the time. So I, I, I do think that there is potential for AI to um, lead to like a starker societal gap, wealth gap, wealth divide. And also, you can probably see this in businesses as well. There are insights from McKinsey's that show 
um, the companies that are able to fully embrace AI might have their cash flows double in the year 2030 compared to the ones that are not able to fully embrace AI into their company. So they're the ones that are left out and grappling with those competitive disadvantages and so on. So I, th I think there will be those societal gaps, um, certainly. So let's suppose in the future, 10, 20 years in the future, suppose there's a, a president AI that's running for president, right? <laughs> what? Yeah, like suppose it's like the AI running for president. Would that yeah. be a good thing or a bad thing? Like he, he, he had all the information, all the knowledge, and he's making good decisions. Oh my goodness, I don't think versus, that's... Versus like a regular I, human can, who's can like we, flawed, right? Can we ask Cole? I don't think that's possible. Yeah. I mean, just think it, of what it was, you know. Like an we, AI we, running for president? Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Is this a thing? I'm sure it's I, not, but... Yeah. I... What, what is, what's the AI being See, fit? Like, like he has all the knowledge of the world. He'd make snap decisions. So you're, you're automatically saying that the humans need to kind of obey to that non-human I mean, if he was like the AI. president, yeah. I mean, do you think humans would ever like, you know, like press a computer more than a human? Because humans are flawed. They make bad decisions, you know. They have biases. <laughs> this AI, president, president's candidate AI was like programmed to be, do the right thing, make good decisions, you know. I mean, hopefully the human race yeah. will never like press a computer like that, but. Yeah, I, I don't think people are going to vote for that at all. Yeah. But. What if they yeah, <laughs> promise them all like $1,000 a day? Vote for me, give you $1,000 a day. No more war, no more this, you oh know. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I, I have no comment to that. No. I don't. Yeah, I need to think about that for some time. Okay. For sure. No that's a very I've never thought about yeah. that like AI becoming the president yeah. I've never because I mean, like you program where do you think about these like, you just came up with your, I just came up with it yeah really yeah. you're very creative yeah I mean doesn't AI like like I know when you program AI at once doesn't like con con continuously learn its own stuff like that but, yeah I guess so but I, I he's the was the expert of you know the AI side of things but it can learn on its own um, I think and correct me if I'm wrong, but it's definitely learning based on the data that we feed into it. Okay. So, yeah, that's all I can say. Okay. So no, no president AI. <laughs> Do you want to have an AI no, president? I don't, but you know. You, you just hate humans so much that you would rather trust an AI to I'm, I'm not saying that, govern, govern our society. Oh no, I think it's an interesting it concept. Be, right? It is a very interesting concept. Like how far actually. do humans go as far as like trusting machines, right? Yeah, yeah. I think most of the population would not trust the machine. Um, and again, most people have reservations about it. Mm -hmm. They think that, you know, AI... It, I think it's mainly because they don't work in AI. Yeah. So they don't really know how things work. So they're just afraid of what it can I don't do. Know, part, part of me says, like, you know, if you tell, like, a regular human, if, you know, if you do this present AI thing or whatever AI thing, you mm -hmm. know, no more crime, no more this, no more this, be safe and secure. I think a lot of people like give up more than they think to give up. Like even now, people talk about like privacy. There's no such thing as privacy anymore. Like privacy is pretty much gone, right? Mm -hmm. You know, <clears throat> we give up privacy for security kind of speaking, right? So I don't know. I think people are willing to give up more than they think they are. I believe so too. And that's why one um, goal of mine is to help people make uh, well-informed decisions um, and educate people so that they're not just, you know, scared about AI. So AI, like what kind of background do you need to become like a so-called like AI person, right? You need to have a mathematics background, physics, computer science. What kind of background do you need for AI? Definitely computer science okay. for AI. 
Um, I think physics and math background can definitely help with the computer science, but I would definitely say computer science, um, academic setting. I, there, I know, like literally my close friend in the Netherlands, he self-taught. He self-taught. He didn't go to college, but he's now like an AI expert at these companies. So I think it, you can definitely teach yourself all these technical computational skills. But it's going to be not going to be easy. Long, it's not going to be easy at yeah. all. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I found this on, on, the, on, your, on your website. It, it, somewhere it said, uh, how, do, how, do we define, how do we define what is natural and how do we define humanity? So how do you define what is natural and how do you define humanity? <laughs> That's a really difficult question. Um, you have to think about like what can humans do and what that machines cannot do. Just start with that question. Yeah, that's a very difficult question that we actually asked um, the ethics professors about like two years ago, I think. So what's your, what's your answer to it? It's, we have to first define like what it means to be a human. And I think that exploration is exactly what got me into computational neuroscience. Um, have you heard of Jeffrey Hinton? He's called the godfather of AI or whatever, like literally the godfather of artificial intelligence. But his original ambition was to model the human brain and replicate the cognitive processes using a machine, like artificial intelligence. So that was his original goal. And, and, that's what my group is also inspired by. It, we're inspired by decoding how humans think, how we learn, and how we evolve um, as a human being. And, and I do think that machines might be able to help us decode that. But it, it, how do you even define that to begin with? That's such a deep philosophical question. Um, what makes us human if we have a a sentient machine that also has emotions like how how do we compare that with an actual human being with emotions as well um and if we just replicate our human brain and consciousness into a machine how how do we differentiate that between an actual human being yeah yeah so it it's just like an open-ended question um, yeah i, I think like what that. makes makes us human is like two things like and I could be wrong. Like, I don't think you can like code AI to be creative, right? I could be wrong. Like, you know, humans were so creative, right? We like draw, paint, sing, all this different stuff, right? AI is doing that too, though. Yeah. AI but is drawing but is, and but painting. Is, but it's actually creating like a new song, a new painting. Like, I know you can like code it to make a painting, but can like, on its own, like, I'm going to paint this wall, like these different colors, right? Or does someone has to code right, it, right? Right, So I don't think, I think that's with us. And also with the humans. I could be wrong too. I think we're the only like species on, on the world. Like we actually have to have something better, right? Every knows every just a new iPhone, everything's in your improvement, right? Like if you go like, you know, to like we'll say, I don't know, a uh, um uh, um a bunch of tigers in the jungle, right? They're not like I don't I'm, I'm, I could be wrong. I don't think they're trying to improve okay, they're not improving the hunting process, I don't think, right? Mm -hmm. They're not improving the way they Like with us, everything has to be better, right? It's ongoing process. Like the, the iPhone every year comes out a little <clears> bit better, right? We improve ourselves, right? I don't think I could, again, I could be wrong. And I don't think AI can like improve itself unless it's coded to. You think so? Okay. Yeah. I think AI can definitely do things that humans cannot. And AI can be very, very good at certain dimensions that humans cannot really do. 
I mean, like calculations or, you know, spitting out certain data. AI yeah. is so good at that. But can like AI, like, I, I think every year that's like a new coding language, I guess I'm gonna right? Can AI like on its own create a new coding language? Yes, okay. <laughs> he said yes. Okay, all right. <laughs> AI all can right. do do very, yeah, okay. lots, of, lots of things. Okay, so next, have you ever watched a show called Your Million? It comes on, it, it used to come on Net Geo. And basically, it talked about all these science, science, not science fiction, like science futures and stuff, like, like longer in the future, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. There's one episode they did a thing where the, this, uh, the couple's daughter died, right? Okay. And the conversation was, do they upload the person's brain into an android? The, the passed away daughter's yeah. brain and so into they, an android? No, so basically, they, um, all science fiction stuff, they, okay. they um, uploaded the consciousness, the brain, the mm -hmm. spirit, or what do you want to call it, from the from the person oh, into wow. the Android. Wow. So Android looked exactly the same, everything like that, right? And another episode was like where they um, uploaded, you know, the person's brain into like the, what's it called? The, um, the uh, like you basically were like in a, in a computer, right? In an interactive design, right? Sounds like a dark mirror episode. Yeah, yeah. actually it was, yeah. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, it was like kind of the same lines, yeah. So do you think that's going to ever happen where people like upload their consciousness into like, you know, like, Wow. Androids are like, okay, you can be a quote unquote alive forever because you're like, you're uploading to the, wasn't the internet, but something else it was called, you know, like, yeah. I think that's going to take a long, long time. Of course, had um, all these like, you know, philosophical like discussions, like this is a good thing, bad thing. Like, you know, do you really want to be alive forever? You know? Yeah. Yeah. I personally don't want to be alive forever. Um, <laughs> but you know, the human brain has 86 billion neurons and they're all interconnected. Like one neuron is connected to so many different neurons. It's going to be not just computationally so expensive, but almost impossible to replicate that human consciousness into a machine. I, or I, I wouldn't say impossible to anything because I'm very optimistic about most things, especially technological advancements. But I would say something like that would take such a long, long time. It, it's not. But is it really going to take a long time? Because I can't remember what it's called, but like basically, the, what's the term where like, like tech, tech advance like happens like on a different rate, like one times one plus two plus two, like it keeps on mm -hmm, doubling, mm -hmm. doubling, doubling, you know? But is that, is that going to be the same as the complexity of the human brain? Because human brain is so complex. I mean, I, I say it's almost impossible because even neuroscientists today don't completely understand how the brain works. 86 billion neurons, they all, there are different types of neurons and they interact and in a different way. Each, is this the one brain? When you talk about billions of brains, each brain is different, right? Exactly. And there's so much diversity um, between individuals. And if neuroscientists cannot even comprehend the brain, how the heck are we going to replicate that in a machine, replicate that consciousness? I, yeah, what we believe that was true like back in like 1950s when neuroscience field first came out is not true anymore, for example. Yeah, yeah, with that, for example, like, you know, when we had like, before we had the Hubble telescope, the stuff we didn't know about outer space, then Hubble came along, no, more information. Now James Webb, more information, right? And right. Maybe bringing me the same way, like there's some tool hasn't been invented yet or something yeah, has been I invented so. like, in the future, like, Somebody might, oh, wow, it's, you know, we just do this, this, and this. Right, you know? right. I'm counting on Elon Musk for all those things. <laughs> really. A lot of people are, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But Elon Musk, I, I never saw how he gets so much, like, trash or hate, right, from different people, right? Like, 
like people will why say why do people hate him i don't know like you know like you know they're like you know like he's not doing this right not doing this right he just gets right. a lot of hate sometimes you know yeah think, he does you know? yeah and at the same time like he runs like five different companies yeah. i don't know how i, I don't he's, think he's, he, a, he's like, an alien knows. that's all it is he's a, he has to be an alien. i don't think he knows like like deeper inner work that goes on in each company I don't know. Maybe he does. Maybe he does. I remember one time there's no a, a while ago, he was in an interview with someone, and this is like he hit a, like a great week, right? Like, it was, I think it was the first time where the SpaceX actually came back and landed double rockets, you know, without blowing up. Like, everything that was like this, like the Tesla stock went up, everything mm -hmm. was going mm -hmm. good, right? Mm -hmm. And the guy said, you know, Elon, you might, this, this must have been a great week for you to be Elon Musk. Elon said, well, no, <laughs> actually, my life sucks. And he broke down like, all the stuff he had to do, like all the decision oh, making, you know, he said, think about it, but the decision comes to me, it's unsolvable by anyone else. Right. And so right. it's all that stuff he broke down, like, you know, time giving up, all that kind of stuff, you know. So do you think he's really doing it for humanity? I want to say yes, uh, hopefully so. And then again, part of me says he's doing it just like mine, maybe he's doing it like mine asteroid, minerals off asteroids, make trillions of dollars. Right. I mean, who knows? Right. I mean, like, yeah. I think he is. I mean, he has more than enough money. You know, I would think, you know. I agree, I agree with that part. Yeah, he has. He already has a lot of money. There's no it, need for him to. Even from before PayPal days, he was okay. <laughs> you know, like, I just, you know, and he could be one of the people, like, you know, some people just can't turn it off, right? Like That is people, true, like, yeah. Can you yeah. imagine, I, I can't see a day where Elon Musk says, I'm retiring, right? Do nothing, right? He's going to work to the day he dies, I think, right? You think he's one of those type of people. I think he just, like, he, he's, like, he wants to solve our problems. And some Self people are like problems. that. Yeah. You know, some people want to work nine to five and, you know, get that, home, eat dinner, drink beer and, and yeah, things like something. Yeah. Right? I mean, that's his purpose. He lives in a completely different wavelength. And yeah. I think he has a very specific purpose. Oh, yeah. I also know that, you know, he didn't have a, he didn't have the greatest childhood either. Mm -hmm. And, you know, his yeah. father didn't believe in him. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I would love to kind of pick his brain a bit and <laughs> see what, his mindset is because he's I know I mean he's mm. he's on a different level right I mean he's just yeah yeah so they figure out how to go to Mars and Elon Musk texts you and say hey this is really Elon Musk I'll go I, to Mars yeah you'll go to Mars I'll go to Mars because okay. I don't like interacting with humans okay that much, but. I mean with that you'll, you'll be able to like maybe a certain number of humans going there like two years i think just and it'd be the same social humans. distance yeah. <laughs> but it'll be it'll be weird because you need to live in like a bubble yeah. at, in the beginning mm -hmm. and you basically need to live in each other's like breath yeah see what i mean like yeah i don't it'll be cool okay yeah. all right um so the company you co-found is called interactive intelligence mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so how did that come so is that's a just a like actual startup that you co-founded so it started as a student club, actually, but we gained a lot of popularity, followings, and people outside of the student organization, like actual companies and startups were interested in us. So we're trying to make it an actual um, organization, a nonprofit organization, and kind of feed onto that. And how many co-founders do you have? I have him. Um, there's guy that's currently in australia his name is chayton we have varun we have about like five okay yeah so, so it's so, definitely not a one person so, thing but i i was the original um person that 
started everything from complete scratch when there was like zero people involved. So why so many co-founders? Because they always say have no more than three. That's true. Yeah. So why have so many? I wouldn't. I don't know the the actual right now. We're not like an actual organization. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say that they are co-founders, mm-hmm. but they are contributing to starting or co-founding a certain program within interactive intelligence. Um, so the guys that started the neuro AI course, which is an actual nine week course. Um, I would also say that they're co-founders, even though they didn't uh, start the interactive intelligence. Itself. And so this is going to be, you said so, it's going to be a nonprofit. Yes. So why nonprofit versus like a for-profit? Because nonprofit is for um, community, community building. Okay. Yeah, we didn't actually file any paperwork yet, but we are we have a huge community right now and we currently have about 84 students at the University of Washington that signed up to physically attend our weekly neuro AI course. Um and outside of just Seattle location, we have locations in uh, Michigan, I think there's one in UT Austin, um, one in Tsinghua University. So we have multiple universities that are also involved in our research and course. So talk about how you built up this community. Like what, what are your like, tips to build a community? To build a community, um, exposure is really, really nice. When I first started, I was cold emailing a bunch of professors from different universities. I probably sent hundreds and hundreds of emails and just not giving up, even though they probably either won't give a response or they will give a negative response. But despite that, um, we cling on to those people that do give a positive response and they are very, very rare. Um, But I would just say don't give up even if you get a lot of negative responses from people. I, in the beginning, everything was a bunch of grunt work. I did basically all the, like, the janitorial work in the beginning. Um, So how did your, like, your, your experience, like, doing freelance work help you with the startup, right? Like, I'm guessing you were able to like, do like a lot of stuff on your own versus hiring people out, right? So just talk about how that yeah. was an advantage to you. The freelance work I did back when I was a runaway. Yeah. <laughs> I was back in the teenager. Yeah. yeah. Um, I have to imagine that was some kind of advantage. Yeah, I mean, I just that. had a lot of, that gave me a lot of independence to begin with and a lot of confidence as well. Um, the freelance work, everything was just based on me and me only. It was based on my performance. It was based on my interactions with the clients. It was based on everything was just based on solely me. So I think uh, building up that trust within myself also gave me the confidence that I can also build a, an organization. Um, okay. And then talk about these weekly meetings y'all do, weekly events. We have weekly journal clubs on Thursdays where we invite experts and professors or sometimes companies to come speak to our uh, students and we usually call them the I2 talks, but they're it's synonymous to journal clubs. And then on Fridays we have our weekly neuro AI intro course. It's a certificate based course where students need to complete a certain assignment and attend the the actual lectures, which is also held by students. And at the end, they get a certificate signed by one of our advisors as well. And so can only students go to this? Or can anyone? No, anyone. Yeah. That, so like suppose there's some random dude off the street. Oh, random dude, please come in. Yeah. Okay. As long as you don't harass anybody. Do they have to like apply? Like 
apply or sign up? How does that, does that yeah, work? Yeah, so this is a secret, but we have a 100% acceptance rate, okay. but you still need to apply for it okay. because we need to keep track of attendance mm -hmm. and all that stuff. But um, we ask like a couple of questions like, why are you interested in this course, blah, blah, blah. And some people write very thoughtful answers and I really appreciate, like those are the highlights. But regardless of what you write in those boxes, you, you're still going to get accepted and you're still invited to our course. So I'm, I don't know if you tracked it, but I suppose like someone goes for the first time next week, right? Mm -hmm. What's the chance of them like keep on going and going? Like people go one time, like, oh man, this is too much for me. They stop or like how much? How much it shouldn't be too much at all because... So people keep on coming back and coming back. Yes, okay. yes. And usually, you know, our contract is that you need to start from week one. And not you can't just start from the middle of the week because okay. everything builds up on each other. Mm -hmm. um, but I mean, we still welcome anyone to come join our our lectures. And one of our main mission is to make the complex field between AI and neuroscience accessible to everybody so they make well-informed decisions. And these are on the UW campus? UW campus, but we also have recordings online and we are also um, collaborating with different universities. And Cole and I recently gave an entire workshop in Intro to Artificial Intelligence to like 100 students online. Um, so if someone goes to, to this for the first time, what should they expect to get out of it? I'm obviously not going to become an AI expert in one meeting, but what should they get out of it? I think the main thing is community. There is a community full of other curious people that, are, that might also be concerned about AI. But um, we give that community. We also give a lot of support that most professors can't because, you know, professors are usually busy and um, there's only one professor to like 200 students ratio. But for us, we have a lot of TAs. We have a lot of uh, people on the leadership team that can, you know, help guide the students. So the ratio between the students and then the leadership team is, you know, very, very different from. And how many people usually go, go, go to these events, like on average? 84 students signed up. Okay. weekly okay so 84 to, yeah 84 students signed up to complete the course so every single week 84 students come in and how long is the course just one hour just one, one hour. hour per week and it's a, it's on a friday and, night and, too and how many weeks nine nine weeks which is one quarter okay yeah but i mean and after the nine weeks they get like, some kind of certificate or something or yeah yeah, yeah. they okay. do get a certificate from from one of our advisors which is signed but the entire thing is student ran yeah, so that's what's also most impressive. It's student-ran, and so the students really understand the difficulties of, you know, academia and all that stuff. So they have a lot of empathy towards students. So what's the youngest person and the oldest person in there? I don't know much about age, but I do know that at UW, there are people from middle school okay. that skip high school, and they're part of this accelerator program. Okay. They're like 15, and then okay. they start college. And, and we have a couple of those students in is there the like an age well. that would be too young for this like maybe like elementary school middle school is like a like i wouldn't i wouldn't say i wouldn't say so no okay. no um and what we're trying to do is we're also trying to reach out to the k-12 um environment as well soon so we're trying to build a program for that as well so i don't think you're, anyone's too young to learn these things and we're trying to refine our program so that it's more aligned with you know ethical uh -huh societal dimensions okay. yeah, as well. I got well. some people to connect you with. Like, oh, please. Like stuff. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Please. Yeah. yeah. But we were also recently invited by like Tesla Sem High School. If you know 
uh, where that is, like Redmond High School, all those stuff. So we have a lot of places that we can um, do workshops in. And so it's nine weeks long. After nine weeks, do you just start the whole process over again? Or is it like a second part after the nine weeks? Pretty much um, start the whole process again. But then we also have a research branch where after those nine weeks, you gain some knowledge and you can participate in some AI research. And you can like form groups with each other, like the community that you've already built. And then, you know, start a research group and... Um, this is all quite new, so I don't have anything too tangible to show you, but that Axon branch is, uh, is trying to publish um, the research that's done by students and have our own like little publication program. And we're also connecting with companies and businesses that are practicing ethical AI so that they can also recruit some talent from our, our student pool. Okay. And um, you actually did an, an event this last Thursday, right? Yesterday? Wait, two oh, days Thursday, ago. Yeah, two days ago, yeah. Two, two days ago, yeah. Can you talk about that event that you did? It was just a woman in tech event. Um, I was invited to be on a panel. I was expecting you, actually. Yeah, yeah, was, I'm no, sorry. No, so, no, no, no. It was, yeah, it was great. But um, it was this whole formal event where the founders of this woman in tech network flew out from the East Coast uh, to come visit our events and it we just talked about ethics and ai okay. in general and diversity and ai and i just mainly talked about you know women and underrepresented communities in the dominating ai society so how often you get divided like to speak in panels like that not too often actually that was actually one of my first uh actual speaking panels but a lot of the events like that I just start on my own with the interactive intelligence okay. organization. All right. But yeah, it, it was, it was really fun. Um, after the event though, I got to network with a bunch of people and we are planning on more meetings soon. Okay. So we can collaborate and all that stuff. All right. So also on your website, it says, we believe in a world where intelligence research is democratized, mm -hmm. transforming neuroscience and AI exploration into a universally accessible and collective endeavor. Yeah. yeah, that's a lot right there. Can you like yeah. break it down to like a dummy's version, so to speak? <laughs> well, as you know, um, artificial intelligence isn't the most accessible uh, thing. It's being crafted by a certain demographic, a very uh, narrow slice of humanity as for now. Um, and, and, you know, even within the interactive intelligence group, I see so many young people interested in this field and they want to participate in it. And I feel like if we commit to being leaders in this educational field, our responsibility is to nurture this curiosity and ensure that all these young people also have a very diverse and inclusive environment to AI. Currently, if you do look into the demographics and statistics, it's not the most diverse um, environment. So I want to cultivate an environment where everyone's voices are heard because currently it's no, it's not. Um, and I think that failing to prioritize the diversity would not only be a missed opportunity for um, better solutions, but we'd also risk letting down a very passionate, brilliant, intelligent group of young people that really want to make a difference in this field. And so 
neuroscience machine learning is actually started in the 50s. Started in the 50s? Yeah. Uh, that, that, is, that is quite debatable. Yeah. So when did, you, when did it start? I think around 60s. Is, 60s. Well, so we actually interviewed one of those people that started computational neuroscience, which is the, the intersection between neuroscience and AI. And I think he was born after World, World War II. Okay. That was when, like 1939 or something. Yeah. And he started getting into this when he was 16. So... So you say yeah, someone 19, sixteen invented like not invented, he didn't like, he didn't invent it. So he started, started he started that education in the psychology field. So we interviewed a a man named Stephen Grossberg. Steve Grossberg. You um, ready for a refill? Sure. I mean, yeah. If you don't mind. Yeah, yeah. Which yeah. one do you want to try next? I have no idea. Which I don't know anything about alcohol. I just, just I just drink with, whatever people give to so me. Let me try this one next. This okay. is like a wooden wheel. Oh, cool! A local. Are you, do you usually go to like local wineries and? Sometimes local? I do. It's, it's actually, I cool. eat for yourself. Okay. I don't, well, do you want some? Okay. I would like for him to talk as, he's the AI person. We're going to have to have him come on next time. Yeah. Oh my goodness. What are you going to do after this? Uh, I would just do some work. What's, what's work for you? <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. Um, like do some podcast stuff, like do some stuff for my HR tech company, you know. Mm -hmm. We just did our beta testing, like trying to like do fundraising. And like, basically, I call, call it begging for money, right? <laughs> really? What? Yeah. And then um, next week, I'm, I'm for next week's it's Tacoma Startup Week, so I'm hosting two panels for that next I Friday. I really wanted to go. Yeah. But next week is like this COS, um, I don't know how to say it, COSM conference. Mm -hmm. Do you know... Like Wolfram Alpha, Lambda, all that. Well, the founders of those really big companies are visiting, and I have a ticket. Is it like, like all week long or? Wednesday through Friday. When is the Tacoma event? So my, my stuff is Friday. Mm. Yeah, I'm doing one panel on um, startup founders. It's not all unicorns <clears throat> and rainbows. You know. Wait, could you tell me what time on Friday? Uh, oh. One's at 10 and one's at 2. Oh, shoot. Yeah. My my thing ends at like one p.m. Okay. So if if it was in the evening, I could okay. go. But no worries, no worries. Oh, I really do want it to go. Yeah. So, but re regardless when it started, this is pretty much a new discipline, right? It's not, it's not like this has been around since the eighteen hundreds. The neuroscience. Eighteen hundreds. Yeah, it's been, it's a pretty yeah, new yeah, it's, pretty new discipline, right? It's a pretty new discipline, and that's why even I can't explain too much about it. Even the people that are in computational neuroscience right now are, you know, always learning something new about it. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um. So with the neuroscience, machine learning, AI, all those are like all kind of kind of same things, different disciplines. They all like play together, so to speak, or like. Can you be like a neuroscience, you know, expert, but not be an AI expert? Oh, definitely. Okay. Yeah, I think that's what most people are. They're only in the neuroscience domain. And most people in the neuroscience domain, they do wet lab stuff. What I talked about earlier, um, usually work with mouse, mice, and, you know, cut their brains. And then just, they used to um, hand count all of those cells on a mouse brain. Like they would stain it and then they would image it and then hand count all the cells. But nowadays, AI can kind of do that for you. Yeah. 
machine learning can do that for you. But it's still a domain that a lot of uh, older neuroscientists people are not too familiar with. But I think there's so much potential when you integrate those two. Yeah. Not not artificial intelligence specifically, but computational. So domains. you talk about like the mouse like mouse neurons and stuff. So obviously we we don't do this well. Hopefully we don't do it with like like live humans, right? We do. We do. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh, well, not not not. What humans are alive, but they sign a contract and they donate and their like, brain enough. So like, post mortem human oh, brains. Okay, but they're but not yeah. alive, right? No, no. Okay. Were you asking me if yeah, you were okay? Alive, no, yeah. no, no, so they, no. You know, like we don't say. Well, so they're so, not alive. So, but, so there's no, there's no like thing. Like you know how you go do a, like a drug trial and like mm-hmm, and like. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll we can slice me, a live give, human give me, brain. Give me five hundred dollars, and I'll put this drug yeah. in my my body. There's no like, hey, give me five hundred dollars and open my brain up. Oh, this isn't nineteen twenties anymore. <laughs> yeah, they they probably did that back in the days. So actually. not a lot of people, but you said they do it. Like you know, like when someone passes, they sign a contract. You know, like <clears throat> use my brain for research or something. Yes, definitely. But then you can't be like dead, dead. You have to be. So you're still alive, taking. <laughs> <laughs> not like like ninety five percent. Okay. So who, how is that determined? I, I, well, I'm not very much of an expert in that system of like how, but we, I'm currently do, do, working do, do, do on. Like, 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 like Jason's 91% dead. Let's round up to 95. <laughs> That's what they're signing for, right? Yeah. That's basically what the contract is about. But they, they're willingly donating their brains to science. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we, well, not we, but like the people in science need yeah. the brain when it's so fresh, yeah, I know, relatively I know fresh. In, I know football, a lot of football players, like, you know, they don't know their brains, like CTE, you know, whatever it's what? called. Yeah, a lot of football players, like, they have all these concussions and stuff, and so mm-hmm. they donate their brains. A lot of football players. After they're de- dead? Or? Yeah, yeah. Okay. After they die, yeah. A lot of football players, they died like in the oh, 50s, no. like 20 years less because all concussions and stuff. So they really? don't like give up their brain for the research and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. yeah. But we currently in at the Allen Institute. <clears throat> I'm currently working on Alzheimer's disease specifically. Mm-hmm. So within the Alzheimer's department, there are currently 84 donors. That wait, 84 is the same number of my interactive intelligence. Group. You noticed that too, right? <laughs> yeah, I, was, I, was, I just figured that out. But there are currently 84 donors mm-hmm. that donated their brains that used to have Alzheimer's. Okay. So we're looking at. Um, the brains with Alzheimer's and then they signed a contract to donate their brain post-mortem to the Institute. And I am the one that's analyzing all the data of actual human brains. So do you Start analyze out. the brain itself or just the data? Just the data. Okay. Yeah. So there, there is an entire. So you don't want to look at the 84 brains. I, I hope I, I wish I could, but I'm not the one. So when people like donate these brains, whatever, has there been a chance, circumstance where like, you know, like Michael Jones donates his brain to whatever, right? And after the fact, Michael Jones' wife or mother or something comes along like, no, you can't have my son's brain. There's no way because the, the son himself signed the contract, What if they right? said, well, my son was under mm-hmm. duress, my son was like mentally incapacitated? Yeah, well, then we need a lawyer because the so son never is, happened, as far as you know? As far as I know, I don't okay. think so. I mean, that, it doesn't really make sense though, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it could. Like it's the son that signed the yeah, contract Yeah, you think you're, you're, you're a mother or father, you're like, man, you, you know, you might think, you know, you're, you're going to like, you know, also looking for like a violate my son's integrity, mm-hmm. my brains or my son's brains and stuff, you know, maybe it's religious reasons. I don't know. I'm just making stuff yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that if that was the case, they would have prevented the son when he was alive maybe, of, from maybe, signing that contract. Well, you know, maybe he has some Jana Kang in him, like did it behind <laughs> you and pre-planned I don't know. it. Yeah. Pre-planned it, you know? Yeah, I have no idea. But 
All right. Just yeah. I, would you donate your brain to science? No one wants my brain. No, come on. <laughs> no, no, no we need, we need, go. why do you say that? So it's, with Alzheimer's, there's no cure for that, right? I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say that. No. no. I mean. Do we know the cause of it? And it, no, it, no, we don't know the cause of it. Alzheimer's we, I and dementia, say, are those two different things? Are they kind of the same family Alzheimer's disease? is under the umbrella of dementia. Okay, all right. I think, yeah. Okay. But definitely a, a brain a memory loss disease. But that's what we're trying to figure out. What's like the cause of it? Um, what are the biomarkers that impact it? Why is it increasing? So, so far people thought that Alzheimer's happened because there's a pathological marker called the tau protein and um, the amyloid proteins are increasing as we age. And that's the one that disrupts the memory function in our system. But it doesn't make 100% sense because there are people that are completely healthy with a high amount of amyloid and tau proteins that do not have any Alzheimer's. So how do we explain that? We don't know. But what I'm doing right now is I'm just counting all the tau proteins and all those biomarkers that contribute to Alzheimer's okay. and I'm building like a pseudo time to see the different stages. I know they, they show pictures like all the time, like, no, like, <clears throat> like a brain with a non-Alzheimer's disease and a brain mm -hmm. with Alzheimer's, like they look completely different, right? I would say the brain with Alzheimer's are definitely like, they, they're shrunken. Okay. You know? Yeah, they're definitely smaller. I don't, I don't see the scans itself. What I see is columns of data, like okay. 2,000 columns of just an Excel spreadsheet is what I see. I don't actually okay. get to see the MRI scans or anything like that, but I do know that, that their brains are shrunken and most people do, most scientists believe that there is something going on in the hippocampus region Okay. Um, and Alzheimer's that impact that. I know they but say, it's, well, it's you, mysterious. so mysterious. Yeah. I know they used to say, or maybe they still say like, you know, like you're the more active you are, the less chance of getting Alzheimer's. Yeah. But I know I, recently there's some world famous actors like really active all the time. He came down with Alzheimer's. Can't think of his name. Yeah. I, like there's so many. He's like super active. Right. It's like, okay, maybe that's not true. Maybe it doesn't matter how active or inactive you are. Yeah. Maybe it's genetics or maybe Exactly. Or yeah. A lot of it could be genetics. It also depends on how much sleep you get, I think. I can't, I'm not a doctor or anything like that. So I can't, I can't say for sure, but uh, there's so but, many lifestyle factors. I'm, I'm pretty factors sure, you're, that, you're, I'm pretty sure your educated guess is better than most people's though. My educated guess is just based on, you know, all the general stereotypical healthy habits will keep you disease free. Yeah. And they're definitely just, you know, exercise well, sleep eat well. well, eat well, just keep, you know, they're so such simple things that are just really hard to keep up with. I've heard, that too, I've heard that too, we talk about sleep. I heard from several places before, like you know, a lot of people like they like pride themselves, only sleep four hours a day, five hours a oh, day. Oh wow, no way. But I, I, yeah. I heard somewhere like the studies actually proven like that actually like enhances Alzheimer's or something like that. Definitely, yeah. Lack of sleep definitely enhances, I wouldn't conclude with Alzheimer's, but it definitely enhances memory loss problems. But some people have like a baseline yeah. for, how many hours of sleep that they can get. And I think the baseline is different for everybody. Sometimes for me, even if I sleep eight hours, I still feel tired. Yeah. So my baseline is probably like nine hours of sleep per night. Yeah. I don't know what your baseline is. And mine's like seven, eight. Like for me, like 
I'm worse off if I sleep like 12 hours than if I only sleep five hours. Oh, really? If I get like yeah. two hours of sleep, I'm, 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 I'm done. Like I'm used to How would you day. sleep 12 hours? When do you get to sleep? Is that even possible? It's, I do it once in a while, yeah. It's like you're so tired. Interesting, yeah. yeah. That you don't set an alarm or nothing right. I mean, it very <laughs> happens, but you know, but like. You like don't wake port- up in the middle? No. Wow. Sometimes I do. But, wow. but if I get like more than 10 hours sleep, I'm, I, I'm better off getting four hours sleep versus that Interesting. Sleep, yeah. I don't think I've ever slept more than 10 hours. Yeah, especially in school, I would sleep like five hours and be a zombie all day long. So this is going to be like kind of a curveball question. And you, you may or may not know the answer. But again, I'm sure your educator's guess has been anyone's. How do you think like, you know, cannabis or CBD affects Alzheimer's or improves or disproves or whatever, you know? I think they're worse for memory. Mm-hmm. Cannabis is known to decrease your memory functions. Mm-hmm. Um, I just know that a lot of these drugs have not been extensively studied in terms of neuroscience as well, but they do use it for therapeutic reasons. Um, I don't, I don't blame anyone for that, but I just know that they disrupt their memory functions, especially short-term memory as well. Um, but you know, it could be good for people with a lot of anxiety that needs to, okay. you know, have it. Or, Are there yeah. any studies on that? Like cannabis, how it affects Alzheimer's or dementia or anything like that? Or I don't know specifically yeah. about Alzheimer's. Why don't we just like look it up right now? Yeah. Yeah. But. and Alzheimer's. <clears throat> I mean, most of the studies do say that the long-term use of cannabis is harmful to okay. memory problems. Okay. Alzheimer's is directly with memory. All right. So next, what's, um, so is Seattle like a known, like we'll say AI, ML, oh, definitely, neuroscience yeah. hub, so oh, to yeah. speak? Seattle is the hub for neuroscience and AI, for sure. Are there any, like, any other hubs around the world? Like, um, um, or is Seattle the place to be? Well, I would, I would definitely say, you know, there's places like California, all the, the very central hubs like New York mm-hmm. and California. But when I was actually looking for my PhD in a different country like Europe, all of my advisors prevented me from doing science research in a different country because there is no other place that has better funding than the United States, okay. uh, better science funding. So if you're going to stay in science and do science research, you need to stay in the U.S. Yeah, specifically get your way to Seattle some kind of way. I think Seattle is a good place, but I still want to kind of travel the world and move around. I don't mind being in the U.K. and doing research there um i do know some people at the max planck institute in germany um that's a place for neuroscience and also computational stuff but i I would say seattle is a really good place um and we actually the university of washington itself flew people from france uh to join this like ncc conference and so on so it, it is a pretty big hub You've been to GeekWire yeah. where all those, yeah, yeah. They're always posting about how Seattle is like the hub for yeah. <laughs> tech. Yeah. But, you know, I know so many people that say there's nothing to do in Seattle. I go to Seattle, blah, blah, blah. So, yeah. So what is an artificial neuron? I, I cannot talk much about it. Artificial neuron? 
Are we talking about like those little nodes? Or however you I, want to define it. Yeah, artificial neuron. I don't know why they call it a neuron to begin with because they don't act like a neuron at all if you're talking about like the weights and biases. Yeah, it that says um, an artificial neuron commonly referred to as a perceptron. Yeah, yeah. This is definitely, I think, cool. Perceptron is, um, oh my gosh, I need to refresh my memory. I can't do it while I'm, yeah, I, I need to look this up. Sorry. No I don't have enough knowledge to explain the perceptron algorithm. Um, but it's definitely all based on mathematics and um, all the weights and biases and so on. But it, yeah, it's a it's one of one of the fundamentals of machine learning for sure. So, what is your goal learning. for your this nonprofit? The goal for the nonprofit. So, the main mission, um, the main. Uh, reason we started was to help people make well-informed well decisions in the realm of artificial intelligence and neuroscience. Um, as I mentioned earlier, we want to know what intelligence is in all its forms. We want to decode how, not just humans, but how do machines learn? How do machines um, evolve and perceive things and compare that, compare that to humans? And intelligence. So we're just learning about intelligence and at the same time um, helping make this field more accessible to the society as a whole. So earlier you said you would not vote for a president AI. But I probably wouldn't vote for a president. But having said AI. that, like what level, what level, how complex is this and should we let, let AI make for us? Like should we make like AI like you know, like, you know, schedule or like dental appointments for us? Should we make them like, you know, schedule like, you know, really important decisions? Like what level of, of trust we put in AI to make like more and more complex decisions? How much trust I put in it? Yeah. What, what level of complexity should we like say, okay, AI, like make this decision for me? Or, no, like, I know? wouldn't. I wouldn't trust AI currently at all. How about in the future? Um, in the future, if, if AI becomes more diverse, I think it, in certain dimensions, it can be much more um, intelligent than the human being itself because um, it learns very very fast but yeah that's a very difficult question I can I don't have first of all I don't have enough expertise in the very like intricate systems of the AI I can't really answer that question <laughs> but I just know that I'm I'm much more optimistic um, than before because I talked to a lot of um, experts and professors in the field and they really broaden my perspective and the the ethical dimensions of AI but I I wouldn't I would never ever trust an AI blindly yeah for sure um, and I don't think anyone should trust it blindly uh, I think people should be critical and they should question what the AI is spitting out all times so obviously I don't think it's the same thing but a lot of people now including myself who wake up in the morning like me I come to work here, I'll say, uh, Alexa, what's my flash briefing for the day? Or Alexa, what's this? Oh, yeah, what's that, Alexa. Right? Okay. Yeah, you know, like, do you think we'll get that level of trust AI? I mean. 
What do you What do you ask Alexa? Alexa like, again? you know, so I have like a flash brief, and I do like I listen to different podcasts and news things. You know, all that. Alexa, what Alexa, <laughs> Alexa, what's the what's the weather today? You know, or yeah, uh, no, uh, for those those. Alexa, stop. So for those things, I think it's pretty good. Like for just asking the weather, yeah. those. But if you're asking like very deep CIA questions, mm-hmm. it's probably not gonna. Do you trust your Alexa? Like, do you think it's constantly listening to you? Oh yeah, definitely listening. Like, yeah, no definitely. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. Yeah. So that that's why you shouldn't talk to yourself when <laughs> no one's around because <laughs> it's gonna read your thoughts. Yeah, definitely. You no, know what that's actually no. Is is AI gonna do that? Read our thoughts. I think so. Yeah, it could yeah. be. Yeah. I mean, I think my laptop is reading my thoughts based yeah. on all of my Google searches. Mm-hmm. That's why I pause all of my history, mm-hmm. YouTube history, Google history, because uh, I don't want other people to look into my, my thoughts. And even when I'm in a Google Doc and I'm just writing things, <laughs> I feel like people can read my, my <laughs> thoughts, even in just a collaborative yeah, Google Doc, Yeah, I don't know they say right? they track like keyboard clicks and all that oh, kind of stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. I don't like... <clears throat> you know what's so funny? I got um some kind of like skin peeling thing during the winter time so my fingerprint doesn't work for (laughs) yeah for the macbook anymore but it's so so annoying because i want my fingerprint to work i want them (coughs) to take my data my fingerprint data and all that but yeah dry fingers now so so next talk about being so you have a nonprofit, right so do you consider yourself an entrepreneur, a startup founder, a nonprofit I, I guess so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pretty much. Okay. Um, we're about to be officially that. But um, when even when we started as a student organization, mm-hmm. I was doing every, like, you know, the grunt work, mm-hmm. the janitorial work. So I joke around sometimes, like, you know how, like, you put on your, like, your signature block, you know, like, Jason Cabin, the CEO founder. It should be Jason Cabinet, CEO founder, data entry clerk. <laughs> exactly. Person, you know, exactly. Like, yeah. SEO expert, I was doing you know? everything yeah. alone, everything alone in the beginning. Yeah. It was a very gruesome period. Yeah. But. So what made you start uh, this nonprofit? Um, what made me start this nonprofit? That's another good question. I mean, so. First of all, artificial intelligence is dominating society. So obviously I was interested in it. Um, When I was in the neuroscience major, I was not going into the the conventional med track field. So I still needed to find out where I was going in terms of career. And uh, I saw like a newsletter saying that there is going to be a new club opening up. And it wasn't a club that was opened yet, but it was like a pre-club and, and um, a guy named Chayton sent that newsletter to my neuroscience department. I read that and I was like, yeah, I'm interested. And Chayton and I gathered up um, together and then we just started this neuroscience and AI organization. And I thought that was like the perfect intersection because AI is also very dominant in today's society. And I'm, I was also already interested in neuroscience. So I thought that was a perfect blend for where I wanted to go in the future as well. And how long have you been doing this? This nonprofit? Just like, so it was like right after COVID. Um, I think it started 
like less than two years ago, maybe. Okay. Yeah. So it's pretty new, but very, very made, popular. Like from your point of view, have you made enough progress? Oh, oh definitely. So okay. much progress. Okay. In the beginning. So you're happy with the progress you've made? Yeah. In the beginning, you know, we didn't know what we were doing. So people just kept leaving. They're like, what the heck is this? And people kept leaving. But now we have like 84 students that are committed. So. And these 84 students, they have to pay for anything? No, no, not at all. No. Is the plan like we're, do, do we're a paying thing later to, on? No, no, no. We're trying to lower the barrier. Okay. <clears throat> well, that is our main mission. We're trying to make uh, this entire complexity accessible to anyone that's curious and determined enough. So have y'all got any grants or anything? To, obviously y'all Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah. In like less than the the first year, we got like $26,000 okay. from the university. Okay. And we use that to buy tensor books and MacBooks, but I don't think that's it, getting used right now. Is the plan for this like be y'all's full time job in the future? Like all you yes, do is like this, like pretty get, much. get grants or fundraising or whatever case you need to have people. Yeah. Obviously, like your time's valuable. And, you know, exactly. You, you know, exactly. Like I say, you, you can't do this pro bono, right? No. So we're trying to make personalized courses for different um, organizations and people. And that's going to take a lot of time from us, right? So we're about to ask for that compensation for time. Um, but we're trying to make it, that's exactly where we're heading right now. Before this, um, everything was done for absolute free. Yeah. So we were, we're just students just putting in a ton of our yeah. free time into making these courses and this organization possible. But, but in the future, we're trying to make it into an actual, actual business. There's a plan like, you know, how like, like nonprofits, like at every, every university or every city or like, what's your, have you thought that, that far Yeah, def Yeah, definitely. So there's a branch called I2 Labs where we're replicating this entire course into different universities. And we currently have one in New Michigan. Um, and also we're collaborating with, with Tsinghua University and UT Austin. And that's, it's just starting out. So we have it in, we're trying to replicate it in different universities. So what's the process of deciding like on UT Austin? Versus, you know, Louisiana State or somewhere else. Like, what's the process for that? Like, deciding what university to reach out to. We just need to contact one of one of the other club founders, like a data science club I'm president. Guess, I'm guessing um, like the university to has to have that. like an AI. I'm, I'm guessing the university. Yes. Has to know, oh, of course. They have yeah. no AI. There's not going to reach out to. No, I mean most most universities do have something AI related, but they don't have an actual course like ours at University of Washington. I don't think there's any any university or any system that runs the course like ours okay. so far. So we're like we're like at the cutting edge. And so for the course, like, are you an instructor? Your co-founder's an instructor? Like, who are the expert instructors? Um, there are so many people that contributed to making the course, and most of them are TAs. And it, that's possible because we're only talking about very instrumental. I mean, um, introductional, okay. fundamental things, right? And then how do you like so-called vet these instructors, right? They have to take a test? Like how do you make sure they're no, they, qualified? No, they've, they've already been through one of our courses already okay. and they've demonstrated their competence and, okay. and, and they've turned in all their assignments on time and okay. now they're the ones that are teaching. So we each single week we have a different like lecturer, mm -hmm. I guess, but they're all students and they all lecture based on um, what they think is appropriate. Okay. And they create all the PowerPoints and all that stuff for the students. So just, go back to like when you first had this idea, it's not proper, right? What's something like back then you like really struggled with, right? Like, man, I can't figure this out. But now you think back, like, 
Well, how was that hard to me? That was so easy. No, you know? no, there, there's nothing that was easy for okay. me, honestly. Yeah, I was crying every single night. <laughs> <laughs> there's nothing easy for me. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay. So who, who, yeah. who do you consider your mentors? That's a good question. I think most of my mentors are just random books. Yeah, random philosophical books. Uh, that's a good question because I, whenever I interact with people, I usually get the positive sides from them yeah. and then I try to mimic that. Um, I would say Cole is literally my mentor. I mean, you know, Cole, um, he's one of the co-founders of, of Interactive Intelligence Axon branch and he was literally a professor back in uh, Massachusetts. Yeah, so I follow his guidance a lot. Um, and I follow a lot of people that have been experienced in this industry for a long time. Um, but I wouldn't say there's like one specific mentor, but I would say that I try to uh, just, you know, get, gain, like whatever positive attributes an individual has. Okay, so follow-up question. Who are you mentoring? <laughs> I wouldn't, I think like, the mentees should speak for themselves, but I'm actually a graduate from the university. So I just graduated um, university and I would say that I, I would be mentoring the students back in the university. Um, okay. Yeah. And I also used to be an RA. So I was mentoring also a bunch of students in the dorm that were depressed. So <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, my, yeah. my dorm was a very, you know, Seattle yeah. is a depressing city because it's very cold and gray. Yeah, what's but. called sad, something like that, seasonal, something Yeah, depressing. yeah, definitely. Yeah. No, a, that, that exists. Yeah. It, it's, yeah. It's, it's a real thing. And most of the people in my dorm were like liberal arts major, yeah. English major people that were quite depressed. So, yeah, here's one for you. So you just received regrets from college. From your point of view, what is the purpose of college? Is the purpose of college like make someone smarter to make them think? Is it to find them a job? Like, and the reason I ask is because, you know, like, that show, like, since the 70s, in college increased, like, 10,000% of tuition. Mm -hmm. You know, <clears throat> but the, the increase in salaries not kept pace. Like, so what is the purpose of college? At least for me, it's just the expansion of opportunities. If you don't go to college, you don't know all the opportunities that exist currently. Um, but that's, that's what college kind of does it connects you to so many career fairs and so many professors and and it, it it's very likely that the professors will not respond to you if you're not a student from their classroom so um you just get access to so many resources in general and i was originally not planning on going to college at all but i don't regret it i don't i completely uh <clears throat> I'm happy that I went to college because good, because good. I have all these resources and platforms. And you had a good experience at University of Washington. <sighs> yeah, loaded question. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I I yeah. was able to build this organization yeah. as well. So yes, yes, and I met so many people from my community. Yeah, very very much so. What advice do you have for someone out there like wants to either start a company, start a nonprofit? They, they, they want to have an idea. They want to start something, right? Just don't give up. Yeah, that, that's my only, only advice. In the beginning, we had nothing, literally nothing. No students. Um, people kept on leaving because we didn't know what we were doing. But that, that itself is a learning experience. 
um, <clears throat> I would say even if you cold email a bunch of people, they're not going to respond positively, especially if you're like a startup and yeah. have no. Even if they say no, it's like, are you going to die? You know? Yeah, like, yeah, you know? exactly, exactly. I cold emailed like hundreds of of people. <laughs> my life so what's your process of doing the code email you just like got a list of names and yeah like, yeah like basically lots of research as well mm -hmm. um yeah yeah but so you gotta personalize it you know which takes time you know i have an entire list yeah, yeah a very huge list and only only about like three percent respond actually yeah. but even even that that's so useful mm -hmm. so just keep on building up on the network so the code email is like how often did you follow up? Like you sent one email and that was it. He's like three, four, five. Like how do you decide like when to stop following or not? Um, just one email, and then there are like three percent of the people that do actually respond, okay. and then just keep on building up. Okay, so once you send the one email, no reply, you just took them off the oh, list. Oh, of course, of okay. course, yeah. They, but it's not their fault at all. They're yeah. just busy, right? Yeah. Also, so they say. Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. So it's fine. All right. Uh, so, so back I'll just say, don't give up. You know, no matter what. Okay. So you've been doing this for like two years. Is there anyone that's been around for the whole two years? Like any like student, like still part of the community? Like what's, what's the oldest? I don't know, even like who's been around the longest, so to speak, as far as like people in the course or whatever you want to call it. I would say the people that joined in within like the first three months are still here with us okay. today. Yeah. Um, and they're the ones that are leading um, a big portion of our our course. Um, so I'm very grateful for them. But yeah. And for There's the instructors you have on. this planned events like pay them too, like like you know, like paid. Everything is volunteering so far, but that's exactly what we're trying to do now. We're trying to pay them now because it takes so much of their own free time to make these courses and instruct and everything. But for every hour course, I have to imagine like, how many hours is it for them like prepare? Like have you like, I don't know, like 10 hours to prepare or prep or whatever? I have no idea. I would say, I would say about like 10 hours 10 per hours week. To make yeah. sure they, they do something yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <clears throat> but for the leaders, it, it might take a long, a lot more time. Okay. Yeah. Is there anything on your website you want to go over? Yeah, right now, it. it's it's still in progress. It's okay. It's okay. very much in progress. Um, okay. I have my co-founder also, Nick Kesey, mm -hmm. that created this entire design right now. So every every design you find on our website is handcrafted by um, my fellow neuroscience okay. major student that is also very interested in art, uh, Nick Kesey. So he, we're we're both collaborating right now to construct our and you have a youtube group. channel too anything on your youtube channel you want to grow or go over oh we upload all of our lectures at least starting from fall quarter um into our youtube channel so we have this of course everything is student-led for now um and the youtube channel i'll put it on the show notes but it's just a interactive intelligence uw yep 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 I drink so much of this. Oh, I need man. to use a restroom. That's you. All right. You need your bathroom. No, 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 no. Though you can, you can go over if you want. Okay. Let's go over the. Do you, you want to go this uh, deep learning thing? Sure. Yeah. I mean, you can go over to like ten minutes or something. Yeah. That's Varun. Um, he was also one of the first people to join my organization, but he's joined like two months in probably okay. and 
in the beginning, I think he was a little bit skeptical about our organization, but now he's leading it. So that's okay. that's very good to see. There's a good one for you. Like, do you do any like public speaking training? Like someone wants to be a instructor that they're not confident in public speaking. Y'all like, yeah, no, but how, you, how you know, you, like, they're you... so good at public speaking originally. Like yeah. I'm like so impressed by them. But for someone well, who isn't, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're you... trying to also train the new TAs and leadership okay. team with all the new leadership skills and public speaking. And I don't know if you're familiar with the computer science um, personality, but they're very antisocial. Yeah. You know, the being, so, being like in, in some dorm room coding. Oh with yeah. The, with yeah, boxes exactly. Of pizza, with like you know. their, their curved spine and all that. But you, <laughs> <laughs> you said the curved spine. Yes. I haven't yes. heard that. I haven't heard that one before. Oh, you haven't heard that one before. I've heard the curved but that's, spine that's what happens now. if you're on the laptop yeah. every, every hour. But Varun, he's the computer science major, but he's not like that at all. I mean, we try to go through a leadership training mm -hmm. um, and this entire public speaking training for all the new leadership team. And so far, they're doing incredible. So what's, what's a skill you have that you think like you're really good at? I'm really good at? Yeah, like, like just the grunt work, I grunt guess. Work? Yeah, okay. grunt work, just behind the scenes work. Okay. Um, What's the skill you think you need to work on? Skill that I need to work on. And you can't say everything. You have to be some. I mean, I would. There's so many things that I can improve on right now, but I would say managing my time because I do mm -hmm. have you know two jobs and also interactive intelligence and you know, uh, <clears throat> as I said in the very beginning, I don't do much with my free time besides just stay in my bed and yeah. watch Netflix. So okay. I need to do something more productive with my time. Yeah. <laughs> What what shows you watching on Netflix right now? Just a bunch of random like one time random things. Shows, yeah. Okay. <clears throat> I can't watch an entire uh, series no. because if I start a series, I would have to I have to finish the entire series in one night. Yeah, I, I recently not... like I'm like me. I'm always late to TV shows. Like yeah, me too. Like me I started too. watching Big Bang Theory like a season seven. You know. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I, a month, last month, I, I binge watched Game of Thrones like three yeah. three weeks. You know, I'd never yeah. watched it before. I oh seen my the clips. I've been watching yeah. Game of Thrones. Yeah. Are you the type of person that has to finish an entire yeah. series? Yeah, me too. That's why I can't start a series. Yeah. I need to watch like a one hour movie or something. Mm -hmm. I can't start a series because I have yeah. to finish I have it to finish, on yeah. the spot. So yeah, unless like you've watched a couple of shows, like man, this this totally sucks, and I'll stop you. Know? Yeah, like, exactly, this, exactly. This kind of interest, okay, like you get. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, that's, so. they do that, right? They put the hooks in there and the mm -hmm. cliffhangers and, you know, that kind of oh stuff. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Do you see me use the bathroom? <laughs> sure. So sure. I have them come talk with me for a couple oh, of minutes. Oh, please, yeah. please. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Let, let Cole talk. So it's one I of these. I think the bathroom. No, it's one of these two keys here. And it's like right here. Yes. <laughs> All right. So this is um, Jana's co-founder, Cole. Hello. Hello. What's your last name? Uh, my last name is Smith. Smith, okay. So tell us about your background. Uh, mine is not nearly as interesting as uh, Jana's. Um, but I grew up in a small town of Massachusetts. Okay. Uh, I went to a fairly traditional, um, uh, you know, elementary, middle, high school experience. Got pushed into the uh, track for college. Uh, originally, though, I wanted to be a chemist. Okay. Um, my whole life, uh, I had had people tell me, Oh, you should do computer science. Oh, you should do computer science. And I was like, no, I hate it. I didn't hate it. I just didn't like people telling me what yeah. to do. Yeah. And so then I started flunking out of uh, chemistry, which is really sad because I still like it. But as I was flunking out of chemistry, they made you take an intro to CS class. I was doing well in that one. So I swapped over and then I 
COVID hit, so I got my master's, and now I'm here. So how long have you been in Seattle? Uh, I've been in Seattle for since May 1st of 2021. So, so pretty been, recent. Yeah. Why, why come to Seattle? Uh, Microsoft was my employer. Okay, that's a pretty original. damn good reason, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> pretty damn good reason, yeah. And are you still with Microsoft? I am not. I left okay. uh, this March, and I okay. moved to a new company called Stackline. Okay, is that a startup or is another big company? Um, it's certainly not at Microsoft. Uh, yeah. it, I would say they've moved just beyond the startup uh, okay. phase. Uh, so they did their Series B funding, I think, maybe a year ago or so. Okay. Don't, don't hold me to that. But. Right. And so what, so you're like a, it's like an AI, ML person? Yeah, so my title is I'm a, a ML engineer. So what got you interested in that? Like, Yeah, so um, I'm really interested in data science. I'm really interested in like, you know, the, the machine learning. I like watching a little, you know, piece of code you have, you know, it's, it's almost in like a parental way where mm -hmm. you watch it and you watch it get better and it does, solves the task yeah. better, you know? And I, I, I was, that was really cool. Um, but I suck at the math. And so there's effectively two tracks in uh, machine learning. There's the, you know, math track and the CS track. And Dana touched on this earlier. The data science, uh, or the math track has you developing new techniques, right? Um, if, we, if we compare this to, you know, the medieval days of learning, of forging metal, right? You can either be the people that figure out how to for new ways to forge metal or people that take that and figure out how to use that to make a sword. Um, so I would fall in the latter camp. Yeah. Okay. Back. Yeah, we definitely have you, have you come on for real. Oh, I would be. No, let's switch up. Yeah, he's going to come on. His, he's going to do his own episode later. I don't know if the microphone does it like that or not. I thought Welcome I was. Back. Thank you. Welcome back. <laughs> thank you so much. Yeah. Um, so. This was, yeah, this is really strong. Was it? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I like the Woodenville one though. You like the Woodenville? Yes. Okay. Yeah. You should try. <clears throat> They're all brown. <laughs> <laughs> Same color. It seems like you like. <laughs> it seems like you like the bur bourbon and whiskey stuff. Oh, yeah. You like the strong liquor. <laughs> you see, I finished like three, three. Shots of liquor or something. Yeah, you're so. a champ. Okay. Yeah. You so, didn't need to finish yours. I need to catch up. So what's, you know, you're an entrepreneur. <laughs> what's something about being an entrepreneur that you were not expecting? That I was not expecting? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I don't know. I was expecting it to be this hard. Yeah. So I was expecting the... All the downhill. You're expecting yeah. everything to be unicorns and rainbows and peachy keen. I and just knew that it wouldn't be all rainbows yeah. for sure. But it's incredibly difficult to connect with people and have them on the same page. Yeah. Um, you, you have like a very solid mission and you believe that this mission is worth pursuing. But not everybody is on the same page at all. Yeah. They're, they're all living their own lives, which is totally fine. But... <clears throat> Um, when when we're first starting something like this out, you would expect people to be on the same page and yeah. and put some effort into like this entire mission statement, purpose, and all that. But people just don't care. So I have a saying, like I like to say, like sometimes I crush it, but most times it crushes me, right? 
And so in the time <laughs> when you're getting crushed by everything, how do you like, how do you like, you know, like keep on going? Like, you know, like things are going bad. Nothing's going right. How you like, like, how do you like show resiliency, so to speak? Like, keep resiliency? I feel like that's how I've been since I was a little kid. So I, I come from a very different uprising than most people, I feel like. Um, with my parents and all that stuff. So even when I, you know, ran away from my house, every day was like a survival mode. Every day was like, oh, today is going to be the last day that I live probably. So I had that mindset for a very long time. And I don't really think about, you know, too, too far in the future. Okay. Um, what would have to happen for you, like, you know, to quit your two jobs and do this nonprofit <clears throat> full time? If we get enough funding. Okay. Yeah. If, is if it, it can is be it, sustainable. Is it, is it enough funding to pay everyone for one year, pay one for two years? Like, it, it, it has to be sustainable okay. for a certain amount of years. Um, and we need to see some future within it for sure. And from your, like, your point of view, like, suppose, like, like the people, like, what, like, what's your metric for success, right? Is like the people graduate, get a job, or is like, what's your metric? That's exactly what we're trying to do. Um, I graduated from university, so I'm no longer part of the student organization branch of interactive intelligence. But what I'm trying to do is trying to bridge the gap between the student organization and the corporate uh, businesses that are trying to recruit some talent. And, you know, there's like hundreds and thousands of AI companies out there. But we would have to hand select a very couple of them that aligns with our mission and aligns with ethical values to connect them with our student talent. And our student talent is very unique because they go through all the courses and, and they're very dedicated, committed um, students that are interested in the ethical dimensions of AI. Like, don't say their names, but like, is there anyone at the university who's like, like not really supportive of you? Like, are they like not supportive of me? Yeah, I would say no, no. They're okay. all supportive of me. Okay. Yeah, yeah. They're. Like, yeah. Anyone saying like, you know, don't do this. This is a job at the university. You know, that kind of stuff. I would say they're all all really supportive. I mean, this is a very new field. Mm -hmm. We're the only neuro AI organization at UW, and we're that's why we're collaborating directly with um, other computational neuroscience organizations and so on. I, I would say they're super supportive and that's what, what's making it possible. Are there like certain characteristics, characteristics or values that a, a good AI person should have? <laughs> you need to be very inclusive and have a very, um, <clears throat> need to know how to make an inclusive environment because currently the AI is being shaped by a very certain um, educational mold and demographics. So I would say the the very the most common demographic for um, AI practitioner is like a white guy in higher education, right? Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not, <laughs> but you know, if you see like an underrepresented or some minority, you need to make them feel that their voices are are welcomed and so on. So I I would say be be a little bit more self aware of of how you're interacting with the community itself. All right. You, you kind of missed this earlier, like, you know, like having access to stuff. So obviously if you're, if you're in Seattle, it's a big AI place, right? You know, a lot of mm -hmm. access, whatever. Mm -hmm. But how do you make sure, like, we'll say, I'll make this town up. Like, we'll say, you know, um, Jonesville, Missouri, with a population of 22,000 people. Yeah. How do you make sure, like, these places have access exactly. to all Exactly. Yeah, that, that's why we need to 
actively reach out to those populations as well. Right now, we're just focused on Seattle because that's where I'm physically mm-hmm. in right now. But uh, my goal is to also connect with those um, um, people that are just far away. And when we try to connect with, do you, are you familiar with Ignite? I think so. Ignite Worldwide. Um, so they partner with high schools that are usually like way far off, like in Yakima or something mm-hmm. like that. And um, they bring girls from those cities to organizations like I2 and help them learn about new technologies and so on and career fairs. And so do you have a plan like, to, you know, like, like, uh, yeah, yeah. We're, we're like trying the, to collaborate with those organizations yeah. specifically that try to um, democratize technology and so on. The only thing was um, when we try to collaborate with I2, uh, collaborate with Ignite, for example, we had to provide lunch for the students and we didn't have money at that time to do that. But everything is just in progress right now. We're gaining money to also reach out to those high school students that usually don't have access to those things. Like, suppose you reach out to, like, you know, we'll say, like, Jonesville, Missouri, right? Mm-hmm. And they come back and say, you know, this, all this AI stuff, that's for the big city stuff. Down here, we're, we're just, like, pick farmers, like, rural companies. There's no need for AI. Like, mm-hmm. how do you convince them, like, no, actually, you do need AI? That's a good question. Um, I don't think they're, they're, they're going to deny that AI is not dom- dominating the culture, right? They, I think they at least somewhat know that AI is dominating it. I wouldn't know how to first interact with them um, in the beginning because I haven't interacted with them like West Virginia, Appalachian Mountains or something like that. But I would love to love to talk to them about it Um, because they have a completely different worldview and mindset, right, than than us. So I first need to learn um, what their living style is and, and what they see. I need to first put myself into their shoes. Um, but sadly, right now, most of the people that I connect with nowadays are already super integrated into AI. There's no use for me to like promote AI to yeah. them, right? So that's really unfortunate. And it's like a cycle. And it's also because of the geographical location that I live in right now in Seattle. Um, everyone is pretty well versed in AI, but I need to learn how to contact people in places like Kentucky and <laughs> places like that. So have you thought about this? Like, like, so this is your first podcast, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I know very, the- my first podcast is me being very drunk for some <laughs> reason, but <laughs> very, very nice experience. Yeah. But uh, like, have you thought about like, like you make other co-founders go on different podcasts? Like I know there's AI <clears> podcasts, <throat> all these different podcasts that like you know, put your missing. Oh yeah, sure. Right? Yeah. I'm, I'm sure they're willing to, yeah. um, if they get invited. I thought that you reached out to me because um, a week before you reached out to me, a guy named Alec. Yeah, he's on the podcast. Yeah. Reached out. I mean, we, so we talked. Alec and I talked because um, okay. he was part of like a TED talk and everything. Mm-hmm. So we talked already. Mm-hmm. And he told me that I should go on a podcast. Yeah. And I thought that Alec recommend, recommended me to you. Uh-huh. And that's how we connected. But it apparently, I don't know how you. I think we're already connected. I'm not. I'm yeah, not really sure. I don't know, yeah. but it, it was such a coincidence to me, yeah. and I was like, "Oh wow, this is a golden Perfect opportunity." Time, yeah. Perfect timing, exactly. Yeah. And I really appreciated the fact that you know there were reminders because yeah. I had such a busy, busy life. You know. Yeah, that was a good talk with Alex talk about simulation theory and all kind of like wild and crazy stuff. You oh, know? Alec, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He's definitely a big brain. He 
He is a big brain, yeah. He's creating his own company as well. But you're a big brain too, though. Oh, no. <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so how do you take care of yourself, both mentally and physically? I meditate a lot. I read a lot of books. Um, in my free time, I just well, re- just listen to a lot of random podcasts here and there. Um, I try to keep myself sane in terms of that. But So how do you meditate? Do you like, use one of those apps? Like to meditate or I used to, but you know, my subscription ended and I didn't want to pay for more. So I, I just do quiet meditation sometimes and it really helps with focus and relaxing as well. You like do it first in the morning, like 10, 20 minutes or like what's your process for that? Uh, First thing in the morning, I actually do like a whole gratitude journal. So when you're like barely conscious, you need to like feed really positive things into your brain in the morning, first thing in the morning. Um, before you're fully conscious so that's what I try to do Um, but yeah I mean I got into the habit of meditating like midday whenever I'm in a room by myself and I end up falling asleep as well so it's like a meditation plus a power nap (laughs) combined which is great. Yeah, I'm a big yeah. believer in power naps. I, b- I believe, pa- yeah, no. 10 minute power naps actually do change your, your focus and everything. How about three hour power naps? Does three that, hour power naps? That is that called a power nap? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah. No, I'm just playing. But I, I really need to, you know, work on my sleep. Yeah. Because sometimes I like get into bed and then I like toss and turn for a long time. Lots so, of things. So after you have a lot going on, right? You're doing a lot of stuff. Like how do you like, like, like let's, let's vote Monday, right? How do you make sure on Monday you focus on priorities one, two, and three versus work on a priority number 77? I don't think about it like that. I just wake up and know what I'm going to do from the beginning. You don't get, be, it's because I have a routine. So you don't get distracted by the shiny object, things like that? You know Not what you're too gonna much. Do? It, and it's all because I, I do have a routine. I know like what I'm doing on Monday is different from what I'm doing on Tuesday, okay. for example. So I know exactly what I'm going to do every every single day and so i don't have to think too much about priority number 77 okay versus priority number one okay but my my main priority is going to be my jobs that actually pay me (laughs) pay me money so yeah that's where my main okay and then um for your two jobs are they like supportive or your like nonprofit? yeah one is seattle children's hospital so they've been going on for a long time and the other one is funded by the billionaire Paul G. Allen. Okay. Who passed away, but, you know, still very, very um, well-funded institutions. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I get paid okay. there. All right. But, I might ask this already, but what do you see as the future of AI? I'm very optimistic about it. <clears throat> um, as I said earlier, I... I'm still concerned about the main um, the people that are getting the benefits of AI are not equal. Um, there's going to be a big technological and informational gap between the people that are well-versed in AI versus the, the people that are not. But yeah, I'm, I'm still trying to be optimistic because I'm committed to being, you know, in the educational leadership field. And I have to be optimistic in order to build a net positive change so um yeah i mean i can't say much about the future of ai itself but i want to build a, a 
community that's well versed in the ethical dimensions of AI. Okay. And then next, so um I think I said this before, but like AI, machine learning, neuroscience, like what's like not the, what's not the future of it, but like you see like that as like being like like back in the day, like people were like, okay, you need a math degree, you need a computer science degree, you need this degree like to, you know, get you know, get a good job. Mm-hmm. Are we at the point where people are like being like like, do you know how kids are being influenced? Hey, you have to get an AI degree. You have to study this. We're at this, we at this point yet. Like, that makes any sense. That, that you need a degree to get like, a that, like, you know, if like, you know, like in, like in schools, they'll say you have to go to college. You have to get a degree in this, right? Are we at the point now where like so. school, high school counselors say, hey, you know, Jason Cabinets, think about getting a degree in AI or ML. I don't or, think or, you need a, a degree necessarily. Okay. Excel in I recently talked to uh, Google's DeepMind's uh, senior researcher called Ben, and mm-hmm. she that you don't have to go through all of those academic mm-hmm. steps to become an expert. You can still just work in industry and, and pave your own path there. Nowadays, um, the culture is like about paving your own path instead of following the conventional structure yeah. of academia. Although academia provides you with a lot of resources and opportunities that's why I would. but you need to really um know why you're doing certain things right academia definitely provides you with those opportunities and resources so since you started a nonprofit, who's somebody you met you're like oh wow i can't believe i'm interact- interacting with this person um, i mean if you go to our our website i2axon um there's some really esteemed speakers that we talk to if you go downwards yeah 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 yeah. so we even talked to the ex the founder of Neuralink oh wow which is Philip Saves and he's the one that co-founded Neuralink with uh Elon Musk okay so he worked directly with Elon Musk and okay. he actually lives in in my city right now oh I didn't know and, that. and is he still with Neuralink no, no, no. He left. He okay. left. Yeah. But he comes from a neuroscience background, um, not a computer science background. But he wanted um, an opportunity to work more with neuroscience stuff. So he he's building his own company right now. So, I mean, he's there's so many people that we interacted with okay. um, that spoke with our organization. Like, wow. I can't, I, yes. I mean, that's yeah, a pretty yeah. big. That's a pretty big deal. Yeah, it was a pretty big deal. Yeah. Is there anyone out there like I won't say it. I don't. I don't want to use the term like your dream dream person. But is there any like aren't there like you, like you want to reach my, out to and like hey have this my, person come like yeah, come yeah, talk yeah. to yeah yeah my talk to my people. group is pretty obsessed with Andrew Huberman. Okay, that makes sounds familiar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's a huge uh, neuroscience okay. person at Stanford University, and um, I know someone that. So works gonna, next to his lab and all that. It's it's all like interconnected academia. Yeah. Right? So it's gonna happen. Are you gonna have him in the future? He's gonna. I like, have get, no get, idea. Get I mean, he's it's a very happen. busy celebrity. Actually, he's yeah. like one of those neuroscientist celebrities. Yeah. So I. I, 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 could be wrong. I think he was on Joe Rogan's podcast a little while ago. Which podcast? Joe Rogan's podcast. Oh, he was. Pretty I mean, sure probably he was. was. Yeah, he's Pretty very. Sure was, he's yeah. like a celebrity, basically. Yeah. Okay. But celebrity in terms of neuroscience, he gives all the the tips, like how to have a healthy brain mm-hmm. yeah so how does someone have a healthy brain like you talked before like enough sleep. i should ask andrew huberman 
eating okay. right. And, uh, yeah, pretty yeah, much. Yeah, he talks a lot about supplements, NAD plus, <laughs> which I don't know the specifics of, mm-hmm. but I always stick the very generic steps of mm-hmm. you know sleep right, eat right, um, have less stress. Yeah, yeah, very generic steps, but even that is pretty difficult. And you and you you're, you're looking at doing a TED talk next year. I don't know, actually. Yeah, but you're interested I, in doing one, though, right? I, if I have something to talk about, maybe. But I think you have a few things to talk about. Yeah, I first need to like know what I'm going to talk about. Because I mean, with, you, you, with you, TED Talks, you, you, you're not you, supposed to talk about your company no. or anything. Yeah, I mean, you're supposed to talk about more societal things. Yeah. But I need to... How AI is going to improve society. You can talk about the danger of AI. Yeah, but you, you know, about, I'm not too qualified to talk about the AI yeah, technological I, I would disagree. I would disagree. Okay. And I was like, even though you guys talk about your business, I think you could talk about, you know, starting a nonprofit that improves AI, you know. Yeah. There's a lot to talk about. Yeah. So is that one of your, like, your, one of your like, goals for next year? or? It's, it's not even one of my goals, actually. <laughs> because I need to first know what influence I'm actually having in the community. Mm-hmm. Now, as you said, you talked about people in Missouri. Like, how am I going to approach them? I can't even answer that concretely. Yeah. So I have a lot of, I would say you, you're like doing a lot for society. I hope so. I hope so. I think you. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> so for, um, what's the, uh, I hate to use the word stereotypical, but what's the stereotypical person that takes this course, this nine-week course? Anyone interested in data science, computer science, and psychology, I would say. So like, is it like a certain like age, like race, sex? Right now, background. yeah. Right now, it's it's just college students that are physically attending the course, but we're trying to make it much more accessible to people outside of college. We recently collaborated with a national organization called Europe, which uh, provides certain courses like this to people that are not necessarily in college but are transitioning from the school force to the workforce. Um, so they're you know, young adults, but we are trying to make this field accessible to anyone that's interested. And so, like, we'll fast forward to the next course. The, so, the, let's suppose I go to the next course, right? Mm-hmm. I start day one. What's, like, the minimum requirements I need to do before the course starts? I need to study something? Nope. I just no, show no, no, up no. the first day? Yeah. All we ask for is your dedication and your commitment to show up and actually uh, do the assignments. That's all we ask for. It's accessible to anybody even those without any technical uh, coding experience in the past. So right? I, I go to the first course. So there's like homework between the first course and the second course? There are some assignments that are very light. Okay. Um, so most so, people so say that. So define light. I think your definition of light might be different from mine. That's, that's true. But I mean, you can even just look at our, our presentations online right now and okay. see how, how um, introductory it is. So I take the first course. What what's the time coming between first? What's the time coming for the homework? Literally less than three hours per week. We're trying to make okay. it less stressful okay. for most people because most people spend already like thirty hours per week. Okay, then let's <clears> look, <throat> in their let's suppose I go the first course, the first day of the course, mm-hmm. you give me homework, and I blow it off. What happens to me? Like I get kicked out, or like like Jason, like what are you doing? You're not no, committed to this. No, what we're mainly concerned about is the attendance. Okay. So that as long as you attend the course, uh, we're we might be a little bit lenient about um, you turning in the assignments because we know that you have a lot of responsibilities outside. 
of the course. So how does someone, I'm sure this has never happened, or maybe it has, how does someone not get a certificate? Like what has to happen with someone? Like I go your course for nine weeks. Like what do what I have to do not to get a certificate? Um, not attend the course okay. for so as long as I show- less than eight weeks. Okay. So I think the eight week, we have like eight weeks. I think the entire course is like about 10 to 11 weeks actually. Okay. And we only accept up until about eight weeks. But okay. if you attend less than eight weeks, then you won't get a certificate. Okay. Yeah. So we do have a, um, attendance is pretty much mandatory. Um, and the assignments, we're a little bit lenient about it because we know that there are so many responsibilities. And the course, as you say, every Friday in the evening time? Every Friday evening. So, like, like what, like, what did like, you do in your Friday evenings when you were a student? I was out, you know. Yeah. You know, doing stupid shit. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's yeah. what I would be doing, too. But these students are coming into a freaking... And you say um, evening, so that's 6 to 8, 7 to 9, 5 to 7... It's it's it starts at five p.m. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It starts at five p.m. and you can go for as long as you want. And where, and where campus around. do you do this? Is it like in Startup Hall or somewhere else? No, UDAP. Um, we do it in the CSC building, okay. the Paul G. Allen, the Bill and Melinda Gates building. Okay. Yeah. All right. Downstairs. Um, it's so interesting because initially we had a pretty small room, but we had so many students to the point that we had to move to a different bigger room to accommodate all the students. And do you ever, of course you have your own instructors, but do you ever like, get a random email from like an AI instructor somewhere and say, hey, I want to be a guest lecturer? No, we usually reach out to them. Okay. Yeah, but we usually have all those um, guest journal club lecturers mm-hmm. lined up. Yeah. All right. So um, obviously you already talked about, you know, your, your, your nonprofit some, but now can you go like in more detail how it got started? What you're focused on now and your big like long-term vision for it is? Long-term vision is to expand more globally um, in terms of the ethical dimensions of AI, neuroscience, and learning intelligence in all its forms. Um, how it started, we Chayton and I also were very interested in how what intelligence is generally. What how does intelligence look like in a machine versus a human and all that stuff? So those philosophical questions made us start the organization, but now we're much more into um, building a community and building an educational community as well. So is there anything I should have asked you that I didn't or anything else you want to talk about? No, I think, I think you know, that's, that's great. Yeah. This was a great podcast of, you know, me being tipsy for <laughs> half of the time, but. All right, nice. Um, so before we get out of here, can you give us any last minute wisdom or advice on anything you want to talk about? I would literally just say, you know, don't give up. I lived half of my life in survival mode. It is going to be the last day I live. But it wasn't the last day. For some reason, I survived and, you know, building a community now. So, yeah, I would, I would just say, even if you get negative feedback, just... Think about how you can improve and make a positive impact to the society and keep keep moving forward no matter what people said. And, you know, my par- my own parents were the ones that were kind of pushing me back, but I didn't really listen to them. I just kept on going. So, yeah. Nice. Sienna, thank you for your time today. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. And to our listeners, thank you for your time as well. Remember to be great every day.
Thank you for listening to this episode of the Jason Kavnis Experience. Be sure to connect with us across social media at Kavnis HR. Thank you, and remember to be great every day. Don't you know?